on this week's episode of Homework Hour, I take over for Nate as our new intro guy. We recap Chesapeake Shores for our Soap Rewind, and it was terrible. I will not do that again. I'm sorry for that. We answer your questions that you DM'd us about, and we also talked to Kevin Reisman about his career at Limestone in the MLL, his coaching endeavors, and all things face-off. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Across from me, I have Akash Patel, as always. Akash and I came up with the idea of this podcast after spending multiple hours in college procrastinating homework. Together, we've found hundreds of ways to put off work, and we hope that you're taking this time to do the same. Akash, say something, my man. Hey, guys. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got a quick main segment for you guys t- uh, today because um, we have an awesome interview with Kevin Reisman uh, at the end of our main segment that, you know, we wanted a lot most of the time for this episode to do because we wanted to kind of welcome lacrosse face-off guys with open arms. We want to put the homework hour uh, insignia over top of the, the face-off guy name. Uh, so we're going to do our main segment quick, and then we'll hop right into the interview. So, Kosh, first thing, um, we did our soap rewind again. Okay, so, so for people who are just tuning in, uh, what we've been doing with the soap rewind is we've been watching soap operas. So let me explain here, you know, kind of as a guy, you know, like your guilty pleasure kind of sometimes like you see a good rom-com. You're like, wait, yeah. wait, I'm a guy. Like that's not a masculine thing. Like, like I don't, why, why I should not, I shouldn't like rom-coms. Right? You're not allowed to do You're that. You can't a- like rom-coms because it's not allowed. But guess what? You kind of do though. Mm-hmm. So that's the whole idea behind the soap rewind was to try and watch some soap operas to kind of get that nostalgia a little bit in there. But, oh, my God, is this (laughs) – was the soap rewind just the worst idea ever? I think it's been terrible. So I was assuming that some of these soap operas would actually have very solid stories, very – the thing you want in a rom-com, you know? Like it's just like, wow, that's that's something I want to watch. These are not that. They I don't want to watch any of this. Right, rom-coms have like a like it's like a um, little bit of laughing, little bit of loving, little bit of you know like hate sometimes in the movie. Not, you know, not like hate. There's but a like, purpose. There's some it. conflict in there to like actually drive the story forward, right? Mm-hmm. These soap operas, they like I don't even know what it is. Like take the meaning of a cliche and, and then multiply turn that, it by like fifty. Yeah, multiply that by fifty and then turn. Um, and then turn that into three seasons of 10 episodes, 40 minutes each. You know? Yeah, yeah I just agree. Just absolutely nothing. It's just, it's just, it's just smoke and mirrors, kind of. Okay, so we, for the Soap Rewind, we watched a show called Chesapeake Shores yep. after previously watching Virgin River on Netflix. Um, so a funny thing about this is Akash, in order to, to watch this, we had to sign up for a Hallmark uh so the Hallmark Channel it, has its own app, and we had 
we had to download the free trial for it just to get it. and Which is absurd. I never thought I would do that in my entire life. What a waste. <laughs> it, it was Okay, yeah, it was brutal. So anyways, we go to watch Chesapeake Shores, right, Kosh? Uh, okay, mm-hmm. so let's think of the plot here. Um, well, that's the thing, though. Soap operas is just like there's like barely a plot. Let's take, let's take the plot of a movie and then expand that over, over three, three seasons. Over three seasons, yeah. You know? Uh, so what do we got? How about this? Let me start us off. Can and you then, go, Kosh? Yeah, let's, let's get the ball rolling. So Chesapeake Shores is pretty much about a girl. Her name is... Abby. Abby, yes. Abby, main character. She is a financial mogul, and she works in New York City. She's got two daughters, two lovely daughters, and she's divorced from her husband. And she's or busy. In the process of, in the process of being yep. divorced from her husband. She's busy doing work. She doesn't really have time for, like, motherly duties, I want to say. Okay. And I yep. guess I guess there's a family emergency. Why did, why did she go back home? So she's actually yes. from Chesapeake Shores, which is the title of the show. Yep, yep. So, uh, yeah, it was a family emergency. The sister needed something. Yes, extremely yes. needed sister. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she can't do anything herself. The the sister needed help with her finances, which makes sense because that's what Abby does. She needed help setting up or like help paying off her loans for the bed and breakfast that yeah, she's running. Yeah, yeah. She's like, I don't want to ask dad. So not only did Abby go there out of her con- like like completely out of her convenience, yeah, uh, to go there, but then she said, oh surprise, uh. You need to give me money, and I need to pay off my finances. Cause yeah, I she didn't explain it one bit. She's like, oh, I just need help. She comes in. She's like, yeah, help me fix my loan payments for this bed and breakfast because I can't do it myself, and I can't ask my dad that lives five feet away because I want to do it myself, but really I want you to do it. Right, and per soap opera you know, code, there was like no emotion whatsoever nope. in this exchange. Um, so what happens? Okay, uh, Trace, the guy in this, is uh, he's the bank teller. He's, a, Abby, he's the son of the bank teller. The son of the bank teller. Abby goes to pay off the loans. Uh, they rekindle a past relationship. Yeah, so, so the son yeah, God, of the bank but... teller is Abby, the main character's ex-boyfriend or ex-fiance, ex-something. They, they had a big relationship when they lived in Chesapeake Shores, and then she moved off to do financial stuff in the city. Yeah. So, so they were a thing. She broke it off somehow. They kind of spread their split their own ways, and then this is the first time they came back in years. Okay, and that's the, okay. what happens after that. What, <laughs> what happens? So the way we've that? been doing this is we've been going from season or like the uh, first episode to the sixth episode to the Ten, last episode, yeah, yeah. whatever the last episode. So is. okay, so. This show starts off kind of like Virgin River, where uh, Trace, the the main guy, <laughs> he, was just, he was just River. hammering away at shit. Like he wasn't chucking wood this time; he yeah, wasn't chopping oh, hey, wood. He didn't see you there. Hey, I'm uh, fixing your house. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't even it was it wasn't her house. It was just some random thing he had. Hey, I'm fixing a random house <laughs> with nails and a hammer. I'm the son of the. Don't mind teller. me just swinging this and. I'm good with tools. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you already know that. <laughs> I'm really good with tools. I hope you notice this. But, yeah, so there's tension, whatever. I don't know what's going on. Um, he fixes stuff. She needs help. Pretty much they get engaged with the rest of the people from Chesapeake Shores because she, she's she been there for, like, the first time yeah, in years. Yeah, A bunch of her siblings come home, blah, yeah. blah, blah, because it's a giant house. It's a, like a freaking mansion of a house. Dude, this pilot, this first episode, was an hour and 30 yeah. minutes. <laughs> Are you kidding me? We just pretty much summed it up. In, yeah, in, in, in about – Four minutes. <laughs> so okay. all, all the rest was nonsense. All right, moving on to uh, the what? Episode six? Yeah, whatever episode. Episode five? Yeah. Um, 
the so the 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 husband Wes of Abby is like, whoa, 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 whoa. You went there without telling me? I want full custody of the kids. Yeah, Bam. Yeah, Initiate yeah. a lawsuit. Exactly. And we mentioned that they were in the middle of a divorce. Yeah. And these they were it was getting heated. Like he wants custody, she wants custody, but they're kinda like in their own separate plans. The the ex husband or like the ex husband to be, he's got his own little family started, so She's like, nah, 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 you can't take my kids too. That's kind of that sucks. And I guess she broke an agreement that they had with their lawyer or something, because like she was, she never told Wes that she was going to go see family at Chesapeake Shores. So she left the state of New York, and that's a no-no in those parental custody cases. Yeah, and that's what kind of started. Like now, now they're in like a lawsuit. They're having a hearing to see who has custody of the kids, and yeah, they. Take it from there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let me think. Uh, Trace buys a shed and wants to record it, do a, make it into a recording studio because that's what he did. He, his dream was to be a musician. And we found that out in episode five. Like, he was a big musician guy. Big Dude, music guy. speaking of the musician part, like, did it seem at times uh, like it almost seemed like they were voiceovers of a re- pre-recorded audio track? It did. It was just seemed like people's mouths moving over, like, I feel just like that's just nonsense. How, yeah, I feel like that's just how a lot of the soaps get get through those type of like, I guess scenes. <laughs> scenes, just yeah, yeah, emotionless, yeah. emotionless scenes where you're lip syncing to a song that someone else made, a ghost singer, per se. Ah, you know. Yeah, it doesn't sound like the actual. No, it doesn't sound here. like them at all. Yeah, okay. Anyway, well, uh, yeah. He was a musician. He musician moving on. He's trying to rekindle his music thing. Uh. Some girl that looks like um, uh, <laughs> Shania Twain happened, comes back. She, yeah, she does look like Shania Twain. Yeah, she Twain. does. Wow. Uh, lead singer of his duet, his band, I guess, and yep. she came back. They used they used to sing together yeah. back down in Nashville. They were they she were. She just hit. came out of nowhere from Nashville, and she's like, "When are we gonna?" She popped release out of the bushes. Track? Yeah, she like, popped out of the bushes. She's like, "When are we gonna release a new track?" He's like. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> New tracks? What? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> and he's okay. all like, you know what? I will do this one thing, but that's just because I need the money to buy the shed. And she's like, you won't regret this. And she said, yeah, we'll see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll see that this is the last thing you do. She's, you. She, she's baiting him into more music. She's the using. devil. <laughs> she's the de- she's the devil version of Shania, Shania Twain, Twain. The devil. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, what happens after that? Uh, mm, that's where it gets a little dicey because they have siblings. They have five siblings. I just found out. Yeah. Abby's got a younger sister, another sister, and then two brothers. One was in war. He went to he went to fight in the military somewhere yeah. overseas, and he hit oh a claymore. I think. Dude, you hear those fire? So I, I just moved it. in. I I just moved into a new apartment, and. Literally, so I moved in on Friday. It's now Sunday. Literally, at all hours of the day, people light off fireworks in the middle of the street. <laughs> it's like, like who the hell does that? Oh. I mean, does it? I mean, is that fun? I Not mean, for us. No, I mean, they're going to town right now. It's like, oh yeah, they love it. They love all fireworks. Right. Anyways, so what were you saying, Kosh? Oh, oh yeah, the guy went off to war. He's like, ah, oh, God, uh, I'm in war, and then all of a sudden he went. He was in an accident, but I don't remember how that accident happened. We assume he hit a claymore. And just yeah, shit hit the fan. None. All right, but all right. So now I think we're at a good time to go to the last one. 
Dude, our recaps of each episode just have no continuity. And well, there is no continuity. The, the show, the show didn't have continuity. There, there is no continuity because we don't know what the hell happens in between, but continue. Yeah, we're on All right, the next all right. We're on to the next episode. We, we found out, find out the soldier's okay. He's back. He's got a bunch of scars on him. He's on, he's on crutches. We survived. Okay. He survived. You're welcome, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he survived the Claymore attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wes, the husband, was like, all right, you guys got full custody. And it was like, yeah. So they won the battle. That that must have taken three to four episodes. Probably four episodes. Probably. But I don't know. He just handed it to her on a silver platter. He's like, you know what? You can have the kids, but I also want to see him. She's like, I know you do, but you live in New York. And he's like, yeah, but what if I don't? And what then- if I move? <laughs> near you guys <laughs> <laughs> so that, and that's what he did so yeah he moved <laughs> and not only did he stayed at their house the, the, the following like night of that happened so easy to re- resolve so, that <laughs> so right when uh, Hallmark had the opportunity to introduce some conflict to make things maybe a little spicy maybe a death I don't know something maybe like, a death we needed something. a death or something like that like a meteor to come down this show just... is really PG like it was almost G even like, in G movies, there's like take the movie Dinosaur. We like that movie, right? Yeah, shout out Dinosaur. Shout out Dinosaur. The, <laughs> I don't even I don't even know if anyone else knows the movie Dinosaur. It's just pretty much about dinosaurs getting from one place point A to point B. Yeah. That movie's rated G. That's amazing. It has to be. There's violence, there's conflict, there's anything to everything to make it a good story. And Hallmark just Hallmark didn't just, hit just, the it just it should it be its own genre. But it is, though. It is. It is. Hallmark shows, Hallmark movies, like, that's a thing. And people like that. All right. So, so, uh, okay. It, uh, they resolve all the, 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 the the custody problems. Yeah. Oh, um, uh, Trace and, Trace uh, gets arrested. Ooh, ooh, ooh. ooh. Spoilers, man. (laughs) That's quick. Okay, oh. all right. Spoilers. <laughs> this is a whole the whole thing's a spoiler. <laughs> We're telling them exactly what happened. In the no, first no, no. Season. So, so Trace. No, not Trace. What's the main girl's name again? Abby. Main girl, Abby. A- yeah. Abby's all. Oh, Abby and Trace are dating. So that's a thing. And then the main singer kind of had a thing for Trace. And then the ex-husband obviously had a thing for Abby before they exed. And now they're all staying in the same place. For some reason, like that whole last episode, they're all staying in the same house. Yeah. So it's all like, whoa, that's crazy. Chesapeake Shore it's house. a full house. But then Trace gets a call. <laughs> full house? Full house. Uh, I'm not going to shout out full house. <laughs> <laughs> and Trace gets a call and he has to rush to the hospital because I think something happened to his dad. dad. So he's running to the hospital and then he gets pulled over for speeding. And then the cop just arrests him. Not telling but we us don't why. know why. We don't know why. So, and <laughs> that's how they ended the show pretty much. They they had a nice what happened, way talking. Though? Was there anything else that happened? Oh, some dude got freaking. We were talking about it downstairs with, with like all our roommates, and uh, they said that so so some guy was trying to get with one of the sisters. Okay. And not only did he get friend zoned, but he got chef zoned. That explain. chef like explain. <laughs> <laughs> so. So when he asked her out, she goes, no, like, I I want you to be my friend, but I also want you to be my chef. Will you work in my restaurant (laughs) as a chef? (laughs) Yeah, I guess. It was the weirdest weirdest interaction. It's a breakup gone wrong. So you're just like so, so like upset. And then all of a sudden you just go. Okay, I guess, you know. I don't know. Would you accept that offer, Kosh? Hell fucking yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, you're a chef for somebody, now I'm I a guess. chef. And that's not <laughs> my occupation. 
not why I'm a chef. That's not even my occupation, so I'm, of course I'm taking that. And then Gordon Ramsay will definitely yell at me. Yeah, yeah. I'll do it all for Gordon Ramsay. Um, okay. That's it. That's that was it, it, yeah. So you, gotta, you guys got to watch season two if you want to see what happens to Trace. We're not going to. <laughs> we're definitely not, not going to. Not only Kosh's free trial ran out, but we're never even going close to that thing again. Maybe we'll do it again in a month or so, but that was, let me tell you, it is really exhausting watching nothing happen on a screen for uh, and I, it, probably three hours. I would say, and I thought Virgin River was pretty bad with the three episodes. Chesapeake Shores was 100 times worse. Yeah. It was way worse. Well, we made the step up from Netflix to Hallmark. Hallmark we we stepped into like unmarked territory. That was really that was difficult. If, so I guess for for not for us, but for anyone that wants to watch Hallmark shit, um, check out Hallmark Go. They they, <laughs> they need the subscribers. No, no, I, no. That's a terrible app, though. Yeah, the app actually stinks, but. Yeah, no, it's terrible. You know, no, no, don't no, go you there. can't don't go see there. like if you're on the Xbox One and you're trying to type in your username and password, you can't see the like the contrast between what your is um, highlighted the cursor and what, is over yeah. and the actual like rest of the letters with the background. You can't see what you're actually on. It took me like 30 minutes to type in my username and password because I did not know what I was pressing, and then it invalidated me like 10 times. So. You know what? Don't watch it. Just don't, don't go, just don't don't do go it. there. Don't do it. <laughs> Thank God we're done with that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But what we're going to do now, though, is we're going to review a different movie, different genre. I don't even know. We're going to watch a movie for you because there's a plot line, and we're sick of this. these shows not having plots for you. So we're going to review a movie for you, and then, yeah, so... Gosh, what is this movie about? All right, so this movie is has been recommended to us by a dear friend, and... It's called Velocipaster. Now, you heard it right, Velocipaster. Like, not Raptor. <laughs> not Raptor, Velocipaster. And now, I'm going <laughs> to give you the definition, or I guess the summary, not the summary, the explanation of what this movie is actually about. So, think about it like this. You got a pastor, and he's doing pastor things, you know, in church, just blessing the Lord. And then, yeah. he experiences a really really sad or bad tragedy so he's like you know what? i i can't do this i can't pastor anymore i gotta get out of here goes to china gets away from all of it and then on his trip to china he discovers an artifact and now this artifact is crazy because it allows you to turn into a velociraptor okay and not only that so he's okay so it makes you turn into velociraptor, so, so right? wait wait like i mean you probably i mean you don't you haven't seen it no i haven't I'm just trying to figure out how that works. Does he just like does he do a, like rub the artifact or something? And then all of a we'll find a out. And we'll let you know next week. But he gets he gets this artifact. He can turn into a Velociraptor, and he teams up with I want to say a local prostitute and goes fights off bad guys with his Velociraptor. Powers. Well, what else does he fight off? And ninjas. And ninjas. <laughs> bad guys and ninjas. It was a very high budget film, and we we can't wait to watch it. Uh, and give you the guys the synopsis. Yes. Hopefully, it's better than freaking Chesapeake Shores because oh, I, th- I, th- I think we can fire off some cool facts. Bleed. Yeah, um, Velocipaster. We'll watch it for you guys. Okay. All right. So last week, also, we asked you guys to DM us your homework questions. Um, and my favorite thing about the responses we got is they really don't have anything to do with homework. Thank honestly, you guys. I mean, some of them have. Some of them did include it. I mean, hold on. Let me scoot over and see the questions here. Uh, we got. Uh, from Greg, if you were moving to another country but only could pack one carry-on size bag, what would you pack? Uh, Kosh, what are you thinking on this one? You know, Greg, what a great question. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you, Greg. A lot of people seem to find themselves in this scenario. So <laughs> Yeah, with travel being at its peak, <laughs> we really need to know what to pack when we go overseas or yeah, something. Yeah. Well, well, I guess when I think of carry-on, I think of backpack. What do you need when you travel? You need the essentials. You need food. Get your, get your sugar, get your protein, get your fats. Let's get some mixed nuts. Let's get some jerky. Let's get <laughs> just some of your fruit snacks. Boom. That's three. Oh, now you're God. now you're good for a while. Now, you need a passport if you're going to the... Oh, damn, Jesus. Big firework. <laughs> God. Uh, oh, yeah, man. what else? Uh, you need a passport if you're going overseas. Two valid forms of ID. Please bring that. That's going to take up some space. <laughs> yeah, at least two pockets. And... Yeah, I, I'm saying if you want to pack light, get some thin clothes. Thinner the thin better. Clothes. <laughs> no sweatpants. No that sweatpants. Take, sweatpants and a sweatshirt take. What about tearaway, like really thin, like uh, windbreaker? That pants. could go in. That can go in. You can, can be wearing them. Wear the sweatpants and sweatshirt because you need it for cold days. Right. And okay. All right. So these are clothes. Um, so I'm assuming whoever's going overseas and just backpacking with a backpack, they have not a lot of money. I'm assuming we're flying too. They, yeah, but the so, the tickets paid for. Let's say that. Okay. Um, where are we going, though? Let's go to Croatia. Why not? Croatia? I don't even know where that is. It's there. My, it's, 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 it's a direction <laughs> ne- to east. the right. It's to the east. Um. But, okay. Okay. Continue. Yeah, let's go to Croatia. We, I'm assuming you don't have a lot of money, so you need a thing. You need to generate money somehow. And how do you generate money? Street performing. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, Greg. I don't know what you're good at, but I would bring either like a yo-yo for some yo-yo tricks. Can you uh, juggle? Can you juggle? Let's let's bring three cylindrical, um, no spherical, no, 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 spherical, <laughs> spherical objects that you can juggle in your in your off time. So yeah, uh, Greg, I I'm hoping that you take all all of our, I guess ad- advice. So clothes. Uh, juggling equipment and passports. Your three major. Uh, but wear foods. all your clothes. Your three you major eat. foods: you need your protein, your fat, and your sugars. And your mixed nuts. And your mixed nuts. Yeah, definitely okay, fat. There we go. All right. Healthy fats. Uh, from our friend Abe. If I'm stranded on an island and I only have enough supplies to survive for the next 48 hours, uh, when am I supposed to do my math homework? All right. So this is the first one that even mentioned homework. So that's math too. Math, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let me read it again. I got to see this. If I'm stranded on an island, I only have enough supplies to survive for the next four. These questions have limited – both of them are about limited supplies. Okay, so limited supplies, let's see. You don't have much to do, and you're trying to study math. Well, why don't you study geography, too? Because if you're on an island, that sun goes around in a circle, my guy. So you can figure out the time. Degrees. 360 degrees, bitch. That marks a day. Yes. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. No, it doesn't, right? No, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, that, okay. That's 24 hours. Dude, wow. Okay. All Man, this this, this question's to... getting to us. Yeah, when do you right. have time to do math? Well, you should probably figure out that... Do you, do, is it like a turn it in? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, do you have Wi-Fi on this island? Because if you do, then you're safe, my guy. Like, as long as you have a laptop or, like, a phone and Wi-Fi. We don't know the materials that You can submit that under 48 hours, I'm assuming. But I guess if he needs to, I guess, mail or submit this homework <laughs> on time. Mail it? So it, I, I'm assuming if you're stranded, like, but you just mail somebody to be like, hey, get me off this island. Like, yeah, ah, but the homework's there. Yeah, but the homework's there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got another one. Um, okay, so what's the perfect drink during a thunderstorm? Um, I actually have a really definitive answer here. It's. Uh, I would say Red Bull because you can harness the energy of the lightning. You could feel the energy cursing through uh, your veins as electricity within the drink and the storm uh, combine to make you one cohesive body. 
Kosh, what do you think of that? Holy crap, that's a great <laughs> oh drink. Have that energy. I was just thinking like a Yoohoo, like one a of those like cartons of Yoohoo's because who doesn't like a good Yoohoo? That's true. that's good for any situation. <laughs> Not only thunderstorms, you could drink that anytime. A nice right. and cold, a nice cold Yoohoo, John. All right, <laughs> drink that. All right, we got Mikey Big Fish. Why does it take so long? You know, uh, I just I, it. I don't know, <laughs> Mike. I mean, Mikey Big Fish. Things take a while sometimes. You got you got to wait for greatness to get there to where it is. Right. Greatness it's, takes time. It takes time. Like when you're waiting for that hot pocket, you got to wait those two oh. and a half minutes, man. Because if you wait a minute and fifty nine seconds, it's gonna be icy fucking. We cold. established this two weeks ago, and that's not great. So I'm glad we got an opportunity to reiterate the uh, hot pocket timing issue. Um. I guess my answer, why does it take so long? I don't know, dude. It just does. <laughs> <laughs> like, sometimes, like, if you're... It depends you, what it is. You have to just wait it out. Um, Yeah, it just takes a while. And I just don't have an answer for you, so I'm yeah. not going to answer that. All right. All right, well, that concludes our main segment, pretty much. So, I mean... All right, we're definitely going to have more uh, opportunities for you guys to DM us questions here. Dude, guys, feel free to DM us challenges, questions, whatever you want. Like, you guys should do this. You guys should do that. Uh, I, I want to, um, let's see, DM them to yeah. watch something different. Yeah, yeah, let's know? get off those soaps. Those soaps suck. That's my worst. They're that's, brutal. That's my most hated segment. Thanks. We heard you guys. We're leaving the soaps. <laughs> We're going to Velocipaster. Um, oh, oh, and another thing is, hold on, let me pull it up. So last week we also said we were going to donate um, a bunch of money to Campaign Zero to try and help out the uh, issue of eliminating systemic racism. And let me tell you, we actually did get a bunch of donations. Yeah, you guys did a great job. And So th- for anyone listening who, who did donate, thank you so much, Uh Kosh and I are going to match it and send it in, and I'm sure the Campaign Zero people appreciate it just as much as we did. Um, and we ended up uh, racking in like 250 bucks. So Kosh, that's, I not, that's not too bad. 500 yeah. beans. Yeah, 500 man. beans to this campaign. That's awesome. I, you guys are awesome, man. Hell yeah! All right, so we're going to kick it off with or, or move it on to our interview with Kevin Reisman. Uh, we hope you like it, especially for your face-off guy, man. We're we are establishing this as a face-off guy safe space so if you're a face-off guy out there you know what times are tough the rules are changing on us we got you guys enjoy this safe haven for the face-off guys absolutely so enjoy this interview with kevin reisman uh and yeah Everybody, we have an awesome interview this week. With us, we have Kevin Reisman. Kevin was a four-year starting face-off guy at Limestone College. There, he was a three-time national champion and racked up an incredible list of accolades. Like to name a few, in 2014 as a freshman, he was third-team third-team All-American. 2015, first-team All-American. 2015, Specialist Player of the Year. 2015, Most Outstanding Division II Lacrosse Player of the Year. The same thing, 2016 and 2017. 
and was the most outstanding player in championship championship game of 2017. Right, Kevin? Is that it? Is that it? Yep. Yep, dude. I see. I, I did my research, but you know, I had to confirm <laughs> it with the real person. You know what I mean? Like that. That helps. Um, and also, you hold the division two records for most faceoffs won, faceoff percentage, ground balls, and ground balls per game. I mean, no one's beat has beaten that. Like, I don't think. I mean, after looking at the actual percentages, I was like, there's probably no one's probably beaten that yet, right? Actually, got uh, tarnished. No, as, uh, uh, my boy Connor Farrell. Oh, I mean, oh yeah, that guy's. I mean, that guy's really good too. <laughs> that, all right, yeah, that guy's. I, that I guy's joke, good. Okay, we cannot I joke that with, from that guy. He is very good. I joke with him though. I was like, I did it for four years. Four years though, you did it once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that what happened? Like he just kind of. I mean, like just he, popped up and he just started. Like, he got, a, um, how many? How long did he play lacrosse? So his story is like he got recruited at LIU to play football, and then a buddy told him like, if I beat you in a wrestling match, you got to play lacrosse. And, and he beat him, his buddy, he lost his buddy in a wrestling match. And then next year he joined the lacrosse team. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, that is crazy. But yeah. you know what? Forget about Connor Phil. It's the Kevin Reisman show right now. <laughs> Kevin Reisman show. So before we get like to uh, going down the face-off hole, like let's just explain generally what a face-off is. All right. Real quick, because I mean, people, some people wouldn't know what it is. So it's like, all right, lacrosse stick, right? You got a lacrosse stick. Yeah. Turn it on the back. At the end of every goal, you go down in the middle, and on down set whistle, you try to clamp the ball in to your the back of your stick, and then you try and win possession. Is that is that a, is that a good explanation there? Simple, yeah, very simple uh, description of the face off. There we you go. go. Years a, and years of clinics explained yes. right there. Yes, years of <laughs> you go in depth. If you want to make it simple, that's it. You clamp the ball at the other side of the stick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's got to be. Sometimes, like even no matter how hard it gets, you just got to say that that same sentence yeah. to yourself. <laughs> all right, so Kevin, take us to the absolute beginning. You know, you have this unbelievable career. Where did it all start? How did you start playing lacrosse? And where did you make that transition into being a face-off guy? So, let me think. Wow. I would say yeah, so. See, see, we, we're going yeah. all the, we're going all the way back. <laughs> so yeah, I wasn't expecting. It. I thought you were gonna say where to start the recruiting process. I thought you were gonna say something like that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say I would say I got interested in lacrosse like when my brother, my older brother, started playing, and my dad played a little bit of lacrosse when he was in high school growing up. So I would just go to my brother's practices, and I would just be like. I would pick up anybody's stick and I would just like want to play, but I wasn't like old enough at the time. It was like, once you get into third grade, then you can play lacrosse. So I had to kind of wait a little bit longer than usual. But once I started, like I couldn't drop the stick. Like I love the sport, right. Uh, you know, I was more of a football uh, kid, I guess at the time, more fan of football pro lacrosse really wasn't a big thing uh, at the time. So, you know, I guess right about junior high, uh, I got I was, my parents put me on a club team. I met like a bunch of new kids, uh, new people, made a bunch of new friends. And then once I got into high school, really about or like my when I was in eighth grade, I started to realize and I was like, you know what? I was like, this whole face off thing, I'm not really losing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I got into like ninth grade, and I'm on like the JV team. It was kind of like the same thing. I'm like still not really losing face-offs I'm playing like I'm a regular midi play offense defense but I'm not losing face-offs and at the time it was like what we just talked about just clamp the ball 
and that's what I was doing. And then right around 10th grade and or the summer going into 10th grade, I kind of like, ex- I guess, exploded with like being so interested in the face-off position. Like, you know, countless hours, I would just come down here in the living room downstairs at my parents' house and I would shove a stick into the side of the couch and I would just watch YouTube videos and I would just face off against my couch and I would just, you know, I'd watch kid highlight tapes of kids my own age, professional guys, college guys, and I would just try to do the stuff that they were doing. I didn't know what they were doing, but I was just trying to see if I can do it. And then th- that summer going to 10th grade really exploded where I was just like, you know, I my, my club coach, after I would take an offensive midi shift, you know, we would score a goal and he would be like, go take the face off because we want the ball back. After you're done, after you win it, just come off. So that was like my real, I guess, exposure to being a FOGO. Yep. And then 10th yeah, yeah, grade yeah. hit, I was on varsity pretty much because I wasn't losing a face off. Didn't play much as a sophomore in high school on varsity, mostly because I, I would say the coach probably just wanted to play seniors. Um, but what really, I guess, what really struck me was, and when I turned a corner was, uh, I was a sophomore in high school. I really wanted to play college across, but you know, my, my parents taught me like academics come first. So I was thinking more academics than where I really wanted to go play lacrosse. I just wanted to play lacrosse at any school or wherever I went. I hope they just had a lacrosse team. So at the time, you know, coming from a family that has a lot of military tradition I wanted to go to Navy my dad was in uh was in the Navy for a while so I wanted to go to the Naval Academy I looked into uh Army the uh, military academy so I was really wanting to do that kind of stuff I looked at the SUNY Maritime uh SUNY Maritime and all the other maritime schools out there Mercer Marine Academy and so on and what really struck me was uh being a 10th grader and telling my high school coach this like these are the places I want to go I'm not you know I, I just want to go to these schools. I'm just grateful that they have a lacrosse team, right? Yep. Lacrosse wasn't my priority. But what really struck me was when I said that to him, I gave him that list, he told me that I couldn't play at those levels. And I was like, I was like, fuck you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah right. I was like, kind of like, what, what do you mean? Like, why, who says that to somebody? I mean, I get you want to be like realistic with people and be honest with them and upfront with them. But he flat out told me that, like, I wasn't going to be able to play at a Division three school and no dis- uh SUNY Maritime. You know, that I mean, they weren't very good. So, like, he told me – he said that to me, and I was like, well, that pissed me off. And I guess I just worked my, my ass off becoming really good at the position. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to, like, kind of shove this in his face. Yeah. And that summer going into my junior year of high school, I really exploded. And I just kind of, like, dominated the summer, really. And – my first like real exposure to college coaches was I went to P200 recruiting camp uh, at the time it was one of the biggest ones around. And that was at uh, Springfield college in Massachusetts and going there. I was so nervous. I was like, you know, I was this kid who came from West Babylon, Long Island, New York, where lacrosse really isn't a big thing. It's more wrestling and football, even though you're on Long Island, we're not very good at lacrosse in West Babylon. And, you know, I was so nervous cause I'm, you know, my parents dropped me off at the dorms there at Springfield College. And I'm looking at all these kids walking around. I see, you know, all these mate like they're walking around with like Ward Melville lacrosse, Smithtown lacrosse, West Isla, Malvern Prep, yeah, you know, I Calvert know. Hall, all these like schools I've heard, high schools I've heard of just from lacrosse. I'm like, 
thinking, I'm like, I'm going to suck. And I, you know, something, I just had a really good first game at one of these, at this recruiting camp. And it was like a three-day recruiting camp. And the first game on the first day, I just crushed it. And then I just guess I got into a rhythm. And halfway through the camp, uh, one of the college kids who was coaching my team came up to me and was like, hey, I just want to let you know, like, the UMass coach really interested. And that's when it, like, hit me. I was like, oh, I can do this. (laughs) That's when I was like, I'm going to be, like, I can really do this. And I kind of just went off from there, had a great summer. I got all these, you know, at the time I wasn't even – thinking of division one the division one schools i was thinking of was army and navy uh and all these division one schools hit me up i did some overnight visits at one time at, at a point i thought i was going to st john's university um but i think that summer going into my junior year of high school uh, i went to the naval academy uh overnight camp with a, uh with a friend and the navy prep coach c- took down my email um and when I was a junior in high school, he hit me up on the day. Uh, at the time, the rules, you could talk, hit, uh, talk to juniors in high school. And he hit me up, and Naval Academy was recruiting me a little bit. And that was my dream school. That's the school I wanted to go to. I've been watching Navy football for my whole life, and I was watching Navy lacrosse at the time. And I think what when I had to kind of change paths, so the direction I wanted to go was he told me to go, I had to go take an eye test. And I was like, an eye test. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, Navy, like you, they want yeah, to make sure yeah. everyone's sharp kind of going exactly. in. Exactly. So, it, but it hit me. I was like, what? an eye test. Yeah, let's go. Whatever. So I, my dad takes me to an eye doctor. And, and my again, my dad was in the Navy. And I go to the eye doctor, doing like my vision, whatever. And then he pulls out a color or like a plot chart for a colorblind test. Yeah. And he's like, look at what number do you see? And I'm like, what do you what, what is there something there what are you talking about i don't see anything and he keeps flipping he keeps showing me i'm like and that's why i just start saying numbers i'm like well, is this a t- like what's going on and he like leaves the room my dad just and or he goes you're colorblind and then leaves the room and oh, no. my dad's just sitting there and i'm just like like my heart sank i was just like wow i was like my dream everything within seconds just crushed and i was like shit i was like this sucks i was like my dad driving back home from the doctor like didn't say a word like i was just so i was just so like unbelievably upset and then i was just kind of just like all right you know there's still you know i wanted to still do military because of you know my family history so that's when vmi virginia military institute came into play and i couldn't because i couldn't go to the suny maritime schools because even you know the mercy marine and all that you can't be colorblind on a ship because there's all those, you know, buttons, all those different colors. So I switched over and now I was like, all right, I need to go army, right? Army, army, army. All right. Army wasn't recruiting me. All right. So now VMI is the plan. Okay. So I, my focus is all on VMI. Uh, the club team I played for, uh, recon lacrosse, big, big, uh, you know, military supporter, uh, my the head coach, Steve Jacobs, his brother, um, his brother, what's his brother's name? Wow, I'm having a brain fart right now. But his brother, uh, Dave, David, played at VMI, was a captain of the lacrosse team, was an Army Ranger, did a bunch of tours overseas and served this country, country honorably. And uh, so that was kind of like my source of, you know, getting in touch with VMI. I can tell right from the bat that he didn't really want me. <laughs> 
And, but, you know, I was just so persistent with it. I would constantly just send emails. And finally, I got invited down for a visit. And, you know, my, they don't give athletic scholarships there. It's, it's a state school. It's not government like the uh, other military academies. So it was kind of like, I think it was like 60 grand to go there. Yep. And I knew it, it would be tough for my parents. But my parents sat me down. They were like, this is what you want to do. We'll fully support you with it. And it's what I wanted. So I gave a verbal commitment. And then going to my senior year, I signed. Uh, but the problem I was having was you have to have – you have to take the ACT for VMI. And on the ACT, you have to have – I think it was like an average score with math, which is, was like 21, right? And yep. I'm sure you two, like, yeah, we went to RIT. 21 is simple and oh, easy. I didn't even take it. Kosh definitely took it. Kosh was a but, smart guy in high school. But for I was me really – that. <laughs> for me though math was i was that was my worst subject and i took i took the act five freaking times and yep. you know my parents were giving me tutors and i you know i was really trying hard with math like i was literally going to the act just focused on the math portion because you could just put all like the best like it doesn't matter how many times you take it you could take the best scores and put them together and combine a score an average score so I was just going in there focused on the math part and I just couldn't do it or always just get below a 21. It would be like heartbreaking for me. And, you know, get a call one day or my parents get a call one day from the Navy prep coach that saw me at the Naval Academy lacrosse camp. I was like, Hey, this is coach Brian Stewart. Uh, I have this yellow um, sticky note that your son gave to me uh, two years ago mm-hmm. with his phone number or yada, yada, yada. He's like, he's like, is he home? Can I talk to him? And then my, you know, my dad, I, whoever, one of my parents told him, I was like, I just want to let you know, like he's committed to VMI. He's signed already. <laughs> he just flat out goes, I heard he's having trouble getting in. And I'm like, Oh wow. And I was just kind of, I guess like rumors were, I guess someone was talking in the grapevine that I was having trouble getting in. And, and I'm not ashamed to say that I was having trouble getting into school. But, uh, that's probably a common theme amongst a lot of people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's, it's difficult. But for me, like, it was the only school I applied to. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I'm, I'm, like, I signed a letter of intent. I'm fine. Let's, I'm golden. Let's go. Uh, so I thought I was getting in no matter what. You know, but reality is it doesn't work that way. Uh, I think what VMI had was, I think, um, they had two spots per sport to let people in, let recruits in who were just under, like, below the par to let them in. So, so I get on the phone with Coach Brian Stewart. He's at Limestone now. He's telling me, he's like, listen, he's like, you know, we could fly you down. He's like, telling me all these things. And he's like, I really think, like, you know, you could be a four-time All-American here. You're going to win a national championship. You're going to be a player of the year. And he's, like, calling all these things out. Yep. And I'm like, you are out of your mind. And he, like, he called it out. And, God damn it, he was right. Everything that he said happened. And he was right. Yeah. I mean, he told me he was gonna, I was going to win one. I won three national championships. That's the yeah, only thing he was going to Yeah, damn. Drop it on the table, man. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's right there. Awesome. There you go. Boom. But uh, <laughs> so, like, I go down for the visit, and he sends me my itinerary. I look at the itinerary. I see the host. My host is Kyle Raggin. I played against Kyle Raggin in high school, and I go through the roster. I'm looking at the roster. I'm like, for a school, a small Division II school that's in South Carolina, they got a lot of Long Island guys, guys that I know personally, guys that I played against in high school. And they got a lot of upstate New York guys, and they got a lot of Canadians and a couple Maryland guys. So I go down. 
I fit in right away. I'm hanging out with all the guys that I know from uh, playing against in high school on Long Island, meeting all these other guys. And it was just like, kind of like, you know, when something feels right, doesn't matter whatever it is, whether you're in a relationship with someone else or even when you're like, you're doing work and it just feels right. You know, it just felt right. And I was just like, this is, this is unbelievable. But I still, my mindset was, you know, military, military, military. I still had to take the ACT for a fifth time. I was leaving out. I was going out of state to Connecticut to go take it. And I'll, you know, be honest with you, I was halfway, halfway through the ACT. And I'm just like thinking to myself, I'm just like, the hell with I don't it. need this. <laughs> yeah, literally, I was like, the hell with it. I'm going to Limestone. So I just start circling answers. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's the way to do it. <laughs> so hey, I man, that, like, that, that can work on the ACT anyways, you know? Yeah. yeah imagine, <laughs> I get, I imagine I got the score and I got in. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so the test scores come in and like, my dad's kind of just like, I guess you made up your mind when – uh, where you wanted to go because <laughs> the test score was so bad and I was like yeah and so I called up the limestone coach told him I want to come send me an NL or he couldn't send me an NLI because I had to get released so oh okay because you already had the original commitment to VMI exactly so after that phone call so I had to go to work I worked in high school at Friendly's the ice cream place nice yeah right. so I was scooping some ice cream and I got a call <laughs> from the VMI coach now I know I just, you know, I, like I had my mind, I kind of mind up that I want, or I said to myself, I want to go to Limestone, but I still wanted that military part. So getting the call from the head coach at VMI and I told him my recent ACT scores, he calls me up while I was at work, I'm talking to him and he pretty much says like, you go to a JUCO school, play, and then we could bring you in or you could go PG year. And he like mentioned Avon Old Farms and, I was just like, you know what? I'm from a blue-collar family on Long Island. My parents worked very hard. There's no shot they were going to be able to afford me going to, like, Avon Old Farms and then uh, to VMI. There was no shot. So I pretty much told them, I was like, uh, I need a release. I'm not doing either one. And because right then I was thinking more for my, you know, more for my parents' sake. I was like, I don't want my parents yeah. to go through something like yeah, that. Yeah, those PG schools, man, are so expensive. Yeah. And so – you know, that my had my mind made up right after that phone call. I was like, I'm going to go to Limestone, and I'm going to go win a national championship. And that that's, you know, that's the way that it worked out. You know, the coach at VMI at the time did not like me asking for my release. Was, oh, I asked for my release. It was a long pause on the phone. I thought we lost connection. And then, you know, he pretty much told me, like, all right, good luck. I hung up the phone. And then, yeah. and then I go to find out I didn't even – sign an NLI I signed some commitment letter it wasn't even an NLI so I went through this whole thing of like thinking I had to get released I was being told I had to get released and like I wasn't even I didn't sign any I didn't sign yeah isn't NLI like D1 only and then a D2 and D3 school it signs some sort of a commitment form like that like similar but not as binding so division three is a commitment letter division two is an NLI but you could also send out commitment letters Oh, okay. So it was yeah. a toss-up on which one it was, and then you yeah. just got some confusion just happened there? Uh, yeah, you could do – it's a commitment letter. It's pretty much saying, like, I'm going to come here and play lacrosse for you, even though you're not getting any money. But, you know, that's the way it worked out. And then I got to Limestone, and then, you know, I – throughout – like I said, I 
I had learned everything off of YouTube when it came to face-offs. Yeah, yeah. So I, I show up to Limestone. At the time, Limestone was, like, traditionally, like, a very good face-off team. The year before I got there, Jake Ternoski, uh, who played at OCC and then went to Limestone, was a two-time All-American at Limestone, first-team All-American. Uh, he was also a two-time specialist of the year. So I'm, com- I'm coming in, I'm like, I got – that's what I got to fill it in yeah, for. Yeah, like, here we go. <laughs> yeah, and then I'm coming in, and then there's uh, two other fr- uh, freshman face-off guys that came in, Blake Weir from Texas, and then Mark Vidala from uh, Syracuse, actually. He went to West Hill. Um, and a lot of, you know, I'll say this. I say this actually every day, like, any time anyone asks me, who, who would I give, you know, credit to for my success in college, and I would give it to those two. And then the transfer that came in my freshman year, John Laranga, because if those three were never at Limestone, I would have never had anything to prove or work for. Yeah, because, right. Because, you know, they they were beating me every day in practice and I had to get better and I got better. And then my freshman year, you know, John Laranga came in, he transferred from St. Leo. He was the starter. And, you know, I ended up taking over. But when I took over, John Laranga didn't have any, you know, hate towards me. If anything, he kind of, like, took me under his wing. And he was kind of like – I don't want to say this because I hope he doesn't get offended, but, like, he, or I'll, the hell with it, I'll say it. Like, he was my biggest cheerleader. Like, in the yeah. national championship, my freshman year, I don't think there was anyone cheering more for me than he was. And this is a guy who was – I think he was, like, 23, and I'm 18 years old. I just pretty much took his job, and he's cheering for me more than anyone else in the stadium. And, you know, for those four guys to, you know, have my back and, you know, to push me, you know, I probably wouldn't be, you know, where I'm at today as a college coach, you know, as a professional lacrosse player. So all my, you know, a lot of my college credit goes into those guys. And then as well as uh, the coaches at Limestone, J.B. Clark, Brandon Storier, and uh, Carol Kennedy. Carol Kennedy, you know, one of the, one of the greatest or best coaches, defensive mind coaches, out there right now he's a head coach at Lincoln Memorial University in Tennessee uh, a lot of again a lot of my credit goes to him because he wasn't you know he wasn't a face-off guy when he played at Delphi College, uh, University he was a long pole midi but I think he understood the position the mindset that went into it and yep. he was also learning from me throughout you know my court my career there you know he just told me before that you know I just let you pretty much do you and I just kind of critique and get drills and find drills from other people that might help you and you know he was just kind of like a good mentor for me and I still a good mentor for me as well as uh the another college coach uh Brendan Stoyer those guys were great mentor uh great mentors for me and have a lot to do with the success I had in college that's awesome man um so let me rewind here um, because yeah, there's a I, lot of a lot of information. No, <laughs> absolutely. Good, no, I'm going to dude. I'm we're going to di- dissect all of it because a big goal like I want of this interview is to kind of apply your success and maybe maybe see if somebody else who's listening could apply that same format and achieve something similar. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so so let's go back to, to high school. Right. You, you're you're kind of discovering your role as a face off guy. Mm-hmm. Um. And then all of a sudden, this guy says you're not going to do it, right? Yeah. There was like a naysayer. We'll call it a hater, right? Yeah. And that kind of gave you that push forward to prove somebody wrong, per se. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what would you say about just kind of the mindset you have to have when somebody tells you, like, look, you're not 
you're not going to make it, you know? Yeah. What kind of mindset do you have to have? Because some people would be discouraged and be like, you know what, maybe he's right. Maybe I mm. should go just kind of give up or not work as hard, you know? Something like that. What was yeah. your mindset of turning that into a just a chip on your shoulder where you're just grinding? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you know, coming from a family that's like, you know, that has a lot of military history and then seeing how hard my parents work, right? Now, you know, I, I grew up with my parents working like three jobs each. It's, yeah, just like, yeah, just ridiculous. nonstop grind. Like, they worked mm-hmm. three jobs to make ends meet for the family, put food on the table. So just, you know, my grandfather, you know, one of my heroes, uh, also a guy who was in the Army and was a police officer and then worked in the jail for 25 years as a corrections officer. And my father did the same. Um, so, you know, I, I had some tough role models and some people to look, you know, to kind of like follow in footsteps. And, you know, also I was also wrestling as well. And kind of that wrestler mentality of if someone tells you no, you kind of want to throw it back in their face and prove them wrong. And then just, you know, I would say I had uh, some issues in high school with some people, uh, some kids that were older than me that, you know, were really, uh, I guess, like, I don't want to say they weren't bullies, but when it came to sports, it was like, you know, they were the best at it and you weren't, you know, shit. Kind of, they had that kind of attitude. I wouldn't, I guess they had a cocky attitude and, you know, try to tell other people they stunk. Meanwhile, they were better than them. So that's kind of like, I really would like to call those people out right now. Yeah, but. of course, of course. You know, like, like, like a lot of times like that. There was a complaint. So my brother, like, uh, you know, he, he just went through all his high school years and he had that same thing. One of his years of, of high school is just these kids, they don't want to put in the work to actually be better than the younger kids who are working yeah. hard. So what they do is they take it out through bullying, you know, and yeah. just breaking them down mentally. And that is a really cruel thing to do. And, you know, it's like, you don't have that support staff like you do in college, in high school, yeah. you know, it's like, uh, they, you don't have as much help to like have exactly. supporters to like get you through that, you know? So, I mean, I guess I definitely, a moral of the story here is dude, just keep pushing. Bullies exactly. are going to hate you. You're going to have those obstacles. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, even like, even when I like all these like division one schools started reaching out to me, it was still just like, no, nah, you're not that good. So, like, I always had, like, something to prove towards, like, those kids that were older than me. I, I just want to be, like, even though I'm younger, I'm better than you. I, I, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess, like, I really had a chip on my shoulder for watching how hard my parents worked. Um, and, again, those kids that were older than me that, you know, kind of – I guess you would say they did bully me in sports, but – Yeah. You know, I, I, it's I'm a the self-insecurity one. on their yeah. part. You know, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I'm the one with the last laugh. Yeah, right? yeah. So, yeah, if you're listening right now and you're a kid, you're just kind of getting put down by like, I don't know, Joe Schmo, who's a senior yeah. in high school, kind of he's starting to get a little fat stomach right now. Just kind of he's not he's not working as hard to be as good as he was, you know, just who cares? Just keep pushing. Right. Yeah. And, you know, something that it just popped in my mind when, yeah. I'm, when I come home to visit my parents like I am now and I'll go running around the neighborhood. Uh, in the mornings when I wake up and one of the kids who uh who I guess like who was older than me in high school lives like right around the corner from my parents and I love running by and I see him getting up and out the door for the morning to go to work and I'm running and I got my shirt off I'm looking good 
and I see him with his, you know, he can't see his belt buckle, so. Yeah, exactly, man. It comes around. I bet you now he's like, Kevin, man, you're the you're the best, like, you know? I don't know if they're doing that because I – Oh, I, okay. okay. Yeah, I, I've seen them out quite a bit when I'm home, and they, they'll say what's up to me, but they don't want to talk to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, it came full circle around to them one way. Yeah. You know? <laughs> But I was yeah, like, damn, so, shouldn't have been talking shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but so now let's so fast forward now. So you now you're in your recruiting process. You want to go to these D1 Army schools, right? So what? So you had, so at the beginning you were like, all right. So what's your like? You thought I was going to ask you like your tips for recruiting, yeah. kind of. So now is kind of me asking that same question. <laughs> now you're like, um, you know. It sounds like you at least then knew how to get the exposure to those guys, right? You know, before you found out you're colorblind, all this stuff, right? You actually at yeah. least knew how to kind of get yourself exposed there. Mm-hmm. So if if someone didn't know how to do that, like what would you say to what would you say to them? I would say, you know, one, I, I'll admit this right now. My parents were sending out emails for me to college coaches in the beginning of my recruiting process, that's not the way to do it, right? As a college coach right now, I can tell when a kid or a parent writes that email, right? I'd rather read an email that has a bunch of words spelt wrong and a bunch of, you know, punctuation errors and all that stuff. I'd rather read that than an email that is completely perfect to the T because then I know the kid is sending it out himself. But, you know, I would – I had some guidance through my cousin who played at UMass. He was uh he was a great older uh great above me. So he played at Master Pequa High School here on Long Island, very like a powerhouse lacrosse school. Um and like so his parents uh and him like pretty much helped me and my parents through the recruiting process. But I would say, you know, find out what you want to do in college like what you're interested in what you might want to study and find the schools that have that right don't don't have this mindset of i gotta go division one i gotta go division one right every division all the division one lacrosse schools out there i'm sure of it have something that you're going to want to study right so don't look at you know just because you want to go to duke or you want to go to uh mercer don't don't just look at those schools because you want to go do they have what you want to study do they have you know, what you need to be academically successful at that institution. Those are the things you got to look for. And that's, you know, that was what my mindset was. I wanted military, I wanted military, but you know, that's not the path that I guess I, you know, that I took. Mm -hmm. Um, Even when I got to Limestone, I did ROTC my freshman year. It was still a month. I still wanted to do it. And when I was, when I was doing that ROTC my freshman year, I kind of get off topic a little bit, you know, the army kind of gave me a, you know, an ultimatum. It's either army or lacrosse. And I was like, you're going to pay for my school. They're like, no. And I was like, lacrosse. So yeah, I did ROTC. Sure. I did ROTC my freshman year. And um, again, I always had that mind, you know, it was in the back of my mind of going to the military, even after college, I was going to go apply for officer candidate school. But again, back to recruiting, right? just for kids right really look at the academic side of it don't just reach out to schools because you want to go play at that institution because again they're going to be honest with you you know coaches might not reply to you coaches might get back to you and be like you might need to look elsewhere um and 
if, if a school hits you up, you never don't answer, right? doesn't matter what the school is. doesn't matter uh, if they're not good or if you can't play at that level, whatever it is, right? You always answer back because college coaches, we all talk to each other. We all, we all, we know all these kids that are getting recruited, right? You never want to tell a school no. Even if you're committed somewhere, you won't, and they, a school emails you, you want to always reply back, hey, coach, I appreciate your, uh, appreciate your email. I appreciate you reaching out. Uh, just to let you know I'm committed at this school uh, right now. But if anything happens, I will let you know. Right? Something like that along the lines like that is an email that you should send back to a college coach if you're committed. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So, like, pretty much just set your sights academically. And from yeah. there, figure out the lacrosse side of things, like where these coaches are, what club teams do I need to get on mm-hmm. to uh, kind of pursue exposure to these coaches. And then yeah. also just weather the storm. Like you said, like, don't, don't deny coaches, you know, just yeah. see what comes your way and just accept or what, you know, just filter it out based on that. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, when, when you like, yeah, you say like weather the storm, like filter out the schools, right? I just, I see a lot of, I played with a lot of people at Limestone, a lot of my friends who they got to Limestone and they changed their major once or twice, right? I, some of the kids I coach at Tampa, they changed their major like every other year, it seems like, right? And I see that happen and then I see them graduate and when they graduate, they're doing something else that wasn't even their major, right? right. And it's like, you know, that's why I think it's very important for these kids to get an idea of what, you know, get an idea. That doesn't mean that's what you're going to do, but get a general idea of what you might want to do before you get to college. Right. It's, you know, I see, cause I hear a lot of people say, you know, you don't, you don't know what you want to do until it happens. Right. And that, sure. that that's very true, but you want to me and I feel you want to get an idea of what you want to do because there's something that branches off of that that might be available for you to do in the future. 100%. You'd be even like more focused to get to that goal anyways after that too, you know? Exactly. So I'd say that's, I'd say that's just good advice in general, even after like, like sports, just even if you're like in the real world, right? You're starting to get jobs. You might be getting interviews from places that are similar to what you want to do, but you didn't really think you wanted to do that. You know, like you're, maybe you're getting emails and calls from, I don't know, a recruiter. That's just like, Hey, you should try what I'm doing. And in the beginning, you're just like, no, that's, that's not really for me. That's not what I set my sight. I didn't set my sights up for that. You know, that's not Mm -hmm. what I want to do. Don't ignore them because you never know, at least answer, at least talk to them for a little bit, engage because you you might like it. You might land there. That might be your new passion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's awesome. So Kevin, you get to limestone, right? You get to limestone. You have these, these beasts of face off guys in front of you, right? Um, so like a thing that I experienced when I got to college was I was just a high school kid. You know, I was used to winning a lot. I didn't know what it meant to actually compete for a spot. Yeah. So there was a big learning curve that I had going through, especially since I had good face-off guys that were going to, I mean, inevitably just beat me because they knew how to compete. Mm-hmm. Right. Actually, not to interrupt you. I think that was also another thing I had on my shoulder was being on varsity in 10th grade and not being the starting face-off guy when I was the best face-off guy. Yeah. Didn't mean to interrupt 100%. you that, but it just popped my head. I was like, that's definitely no, that's fair. It makes sense, man. I mean, yeah, that's, I was like, that's honestly like where my question was going, really. I mean, it's like, like what, 
um, kind of give you that hyper focus to compete at such a young age. Because for me, and like for a couple, I'm sure for a bunch of people in my position, like it took getting to college to be equipped with the skills to compete against people who were better than you. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of talk us through that a little bit. I think, you know, just like as a child, I was super competitive. If I'm playing PlayStation with my brother and we're playing some game and I keep losing, I'm probably going to slam my controller on the ground. <laughs> yeah, right. Good. Like that's how uh, – seriously, like that's how competitive I was, that we had broken controllers in the house because I'm slamming them on the ground. Uh, but, yeah, just like, you know, that competitive just nature, right, of, you know – I, I was just always kind of just like I wanted to be the best at everything. Yeah. And with facing off, when it came to facing off, I was so passionate to where like I don't want anyone to be better than me. Like like Nate, you see it, like I get so I take it so personal when you beat me in practice. Oh, <laughs> I'm yeah, like for sure. I get so personal. Uh, yeah, you, you scare Lars, the sidewall Jedi. Yeah, I know. He's like, Oh, psycho. <laughs> He's like psycho coming <laughs> out of here. Yeah, it's just like, you know, I just, I'm just so super competitive at anything I do. Like, I'm terrible at golf. Terrible at golf. Yeah, I don't even play it for that reason. But if I go golfing, <laughs> I am going to try to win, and I will do whatever it takes to win. I'll try. If there's a way to cheat, I'll find a way to cheat. Yeah. Or, like, <laughs> I'll do something. Like, I don't know. I'll make, you know, I'll steal a golf cart and make the next, you know, my part or whoever I'm playing golf against walk to the next hole. I don't care. Right. You know, I, I'm just super competitive at anything I do, and I just, you know, I just want to be the best at it. Okay, so you're at Limestone, you get the starting job, and there you started your domination, man. I mean, like, I, I, I did my Kevin Reisman research here. Um, 2014, you went 69%. 2015, 75%. 2016, 76%. 2017, Correct. 74%. I mean, these, like, for people who don't know face-offs, that is, like – that's hard to do where if like I were to go against someone who doesn't know how to face off, it's tough to like, it's tough to achieve those numbers anyways. You know, that's, that's just absurd. You know, you need super focus to achieve those like Mm -hmm. high percentages like that. Um, So what was the secret to maintaining those, that focus just all the time? Or was it like everything else? It was just the competitive like nature that you had. You didn't even have to focus. It was just already installed there. I think what happened was I got into a groove and I just couldn't get out of the groove. Um, yeah. You talk, if you talk to a lot of my teammates and friends from college, right. They'd probably tell you I was very cocky. I don't think I, and I don't tell them I wasn't cocky at all. I was just being honest. Right. And again, I, I wanted to be the best. And my freshman year, what happened? Uh, I thought I was, you know, I thought I was the best, but you know, I, call myself the second best my freshman year because Greg Pasquilgen, uh, who played at Adelphi, was the first team All-American that year, and he was the specialist of the year. Yeah, and, yeah. I, you know, I didn't take it to heart or anything. I just thought, you know, because percentages and ground balls and all that stuff, like, I was just way higher. But um, I think, you know, I just always wanted to be the best. And, you know – I also, I told people that too. <laughs> yeah, <you're> right. <laughs> Very, uh, I guess, kind of an asshole. <laughs> I would tell people like, you know, screw you. I'm way better than you. Like, let's go. Like, yeah. Like, you know, I, I took it 
very personal losing a face-off and going into games, you know, like, I mean, Nate, you, I mean, I guess that you see a little bit of it. It used to be way worse in college. Yeah. With me running my mouth <laughs> during yeah. the game. <laughs> For sure. I get after people pretty harshly, um, you know, so like in college, scouting kids, you know, I would just be like, you're going to hear it the minute I walk out of the locker room. I'm going to start barking at you across the field. You yeah. know, we, you know, Limestone was located in Gaffney, South Carolina. And every single time I walked out of the locker room, I'd scream on the top of my lungs to whoever we were playing saying, you know, welcome to Gaffney, mother. <laughs> <laughs> I would scream that at coaches and stuff. I was so disrespectful. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, maybe, like, maybe you know, that gave you the edge, man. Maybe they, maybe yeah. they, the weakness showed by yeah, <laughs> I would them come, down. I would come out screaming. I was so fired up. And I was just like, you know, I would always – I would think of, what, like, what they're trying to think of, like, about me. And, like, it, I put it in my head. I was like, no one wants to fuck with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. You got to belittle their spirits. It's all a mind exactly. game, dude. They're coming to the dog pound. They're coming to take on reason. Are they going to get it? Yeah. No. There you go. Yeah. But I think, you know, it all um, – I think my first test was my freshman year of, you know, I guess really – I guess, like, struggling in a way was my freshman year. Like, I just kind of won the starting role. And now the biggest game of the of Division Two pretty much is about to go down. You know, limestone against Tampa. So this right? is – is this the championship of that no, year? No, this is, this is my freshman year. This is, like, mid-season. Okay. Right? We're rolling. We had uh, – I think the only game we lost was uh, LeMoyne. And so we're rolling. Tampa's rolling. I don't think Tampa's lost a freaking game yet. And – it was becoming very heated, like on social media, like people were tweeting at each other, posting Instagrams, Facebook stuff. So it became you very. You were probably all about that, right? Oh yeah! Oh my god! <laughs> I, if I know some, of the, I know the players. Are, once this pops off, like once you guys post this, like the players are gonna listen to this and they're gonna hear it. The guys that I coach now at Tampa, but yeah. you know, I hated those guys. So yeah. much. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it's not personal; it's just business. You know, it is like we we thought we were the kings of the south. They were calling themselves the Kings of the okay. South, and we were like, "Let's go!" Like anytime we played Tampa, it was it was a you know bare knuckle brawl. It was you know it, those are the toughest games I played in, and we respected those guys. It wasn't like there was a disrespect, but we just hated you. That, that's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> sure. right. we hated you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, dude, you had to claim your region, you know. Yeah, but you know, I I would say like that was my first test my freshman year of like kind of struggling. I, you know, I was going up against a guy that I knew from high school that I played against a little bit. Um, and I knew it was going to be a dog fight and I kind of struggled a little bit. I think I was just above 50%. And then you fast forward to the NCAA semifinals. We're playing Tampa again. And I jump on the first five faceoffs of the game. Yeah. Like early, like, you know, first three penalty. Then the next one penalty. The next one, I go early again. Penalty, like I was just giving my team penalties, and we weren't yeah. even touching the ball. And for some reason, my head coach didn't pull me out. He just kept throwing me in, throwing me in. And then, but I'll tell you what: after that fifth, that fifth time I went early, it was I popped it forward. I remember, and then it was like game over. I'm like, yeah. the minute I pop one forward on you, you're, you're now you're in my world. Yeah, you're now exposed. You're through. <laughs> Like the moment I realized when the whistle's blowing, I'm sorry, you got no shot. <laughs> yep. 
that's why I love playing at home in Boston. I know when that ref's going to blow the whistle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, absolutely. That's such an edge. At RIT, dude, it was the same way. Yeah, you get those home refs. You're like, those are my boys. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, so another thing is like, so you, you produce crazy numbers, numbers like individually, right? But yeah. what's crazy is that while you're there, you experience so much team success. Like, I mean, how many people do you know besides the guys you played on Limestone with that like have three national championships? You know what I mean? That's like, yeah, like, what the so, heck, you know? So I what was like the secret about that team that made them collectively so successful? You know what? I would just, it's a good, we, it was just a good group of guys and we had, we all had the same common goal, right? We're all lax rats, you know, we would do anything for each other. Like yeah. literally anything for each other. Like love those guys. You know, we, you know, we were with each other constantly throughout the day. Right. You know, Limestone College, Limestone College is a small school. So you got probably like three or four guys in your class, teammates in your class, right. You go home or you go to your dorm room, your roommates are lacrosse guy, you go back to your house, your roommates are lacrosse guys. Uh, and then you go to practice. Like you, we were just constantly with each other. And even even on the weekends, we were con- in the nightlife. Like we were constantly with each other. We loved each other. We wanted to be with each other. And we understood that it takes all of us to get to where we want to go. We all wanted rings. We all wanted to bring back the trophy to Gaffney, South Carolina. And we knew that we had to just work as a team. And I think something that's very important is, you know, every year, Coach Clark, the head coach would always tell the seniors, you know, this is your team, right? And I firmly believe this. In college and high school sports, it is the seniors' teams. And wherever the seniors want to go and how far they want to take the team, that's where they'll go. So if the seniors, you know, they're boozing night before the games, they're doing, you know, doing stuff they shouldn't be doing, the team's not going to go very far. But if the seniors are holding themselves accountable as well as everyone else on the teams and they're holding themselves to a higher standard, you're going to get success, right? And then I think we just outwork teams so, so much more. Like, we just not, – not during games, but, like, in the weight room, right? We had a full-time strength – we're very fortunate that for a Division two school to have a full-time strength conditioning coaching staff. We had uh, full-time athletic trainers. You know, we, we were treated like a Division one program. Right. You know, that's how that's how it's got to be. If you want that success, if you want to come home with that national championship trophy and get that big gaudy ring on your finger, you have to treat yourself as like a Duke, as a Maryland, as a Virginia, as a Syracuse. you got to treat yourself that way, because if you're not doing it, then you're just going to be like all the other all the other teams. And, you know, we don't want to be normal, normal when you're at Limestone while I was there from 2014 to 2017. Normal was not good right we want to be extraordinary if we were normal we weren't doing the right things so you know just having the love for each other and holding each other accountable and having great senior groups year in and year out you know just it says something to the coaching staff to creating that mindset for us and then credit to all the seniors every year that bring limestone to the national championship because it's you know it's still going on limestone was in the national championship last year right it's still that same mindset uh, I don't want to talk too much about how good they are because now I have to coach against them. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, but you know, Conflict of interest. Uh, the the history that goes on, the history that that place holds, and you know the guys that 
that show up there just you know they fall in love with each other and they just all they want to do is just have each other's back and just make sure at the end of the day you know they reach their their common goal absolutely that's that's my favorite thing about what you said kind of like everyone everyone's priority was not only eat like each other but it was also the winning of a championship you know um like one of my biggest criticisms of Syracuse like I hate I hate to bash Syracuse a little bit you know I mean they're obviously an amazing lacrosse program Mm -hmm. and they and they're figuring stuff out you know more as it goes now they're 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 insane right now but like when I was there it wasn't a collective priority to win a national championship and that was one of that was one of my biggest things that I was like you know ready to move in which I did you know so Mm -hmm. I mean, that was probably such an edge for you guys at Limestone was just yeah. a complete sellout by everybody, mm-hmm. you know, on all fronts. And I think my freshman year, we started off the season, I think, ranked 12th in the country. And two years before that, Limestone was in the national championship and lost to Dowling. And the year before I got there, Limestone was in the NCAA semifinals and lost an OT to Mercyhurst. So, like, it was like a slap in the face to us. Like, you're going to rank us 12th in the country and we were returning all these guys? Shame on you. So, like, really, like, the seniors of 2014, my freshman year, and I tell them all the time, I'm like, if it wasn't for you guys, I don't know if Limestone would have went on this run. That's still kind of going on. I don't know if that would have happened without you guys because you set the standard right there. You know, there was no joking around. You told us how it was going to be. If you know you're messing up or you're joking around, get out of here, or you're gonna get ran out of here. And that's the way it was. And you know, every year the freshman first day they stepped foot on campus, you know, you kind of let them know, but like you tell them, you know, like this is how it's gonna be, right? You're, you're probably gonna see some fights in practice because we're very competitive, right? You're gonna see guys get after each other, right? But when we walk out of the locker room, we're gonna, we're, you know, we're gonna hug each other because we love each other, right? This is like this is what it's about, right? And Winning, you know, after that freshman year of winning that national championship against LIU Post, you know, it kind of became like the norm. Like when you're a freshman, you win a national championship. It's like that's the only thing you know, right? So my freshman year, we win the national sure. championship. My sophomore year, we go back to back. My junior year, we lose. And we probably lose because at the time, more – I would say around 80% of the team, all we know is winning national championships. We've never lost one. We've never had a season where we didn't make it there. So that, that's what was holding us back. We needed a little bit, you know, of, of reality, you know, a taste of reality. And that, you know, if we probably if we won my junior year, I don't know if we would have won my senior year. But, right. you know, it was kind of like a taste of reality. But that was like kind of – that became the norm was just, you know – and that's why we probably lost my junior year was, you know, the norm became getting there rather than winning it. Dude, yeah, absolutely. It that's seemed awesome. like it was just kind of expected at that point, so. Absolutely. And that 2016 team, I tell – I'll tell anyone, you know, you, you put that 2016 team against anyone, any team in Division One, I, I guarantee it's a game. Um, I, we broke every single Division Two record, and we had three top five NL draft picks on our team. Wow. Yeah, dude, that's, like, I mean, that's, that's absurd. It, we played – we screwed UNC the year UNC won the national championship and smoked them. That's that, – I mean, that's absurd. I mean – It wasn't even a game. It was just – we stepped on the field and no one wanted to play us and it got to us to, you know, 
we and met I'm sure a, you we, guys were like, let's beat these guys, you know? <laughs> you know, we were, fired up to go, ready we were to go. playing Lemoyne in the 2016 National Championship. We just beat them in the 2015 National Championship. We're like, we're going to smoke these guys. Like, we just broke every record in the Division Two record book. You're guy, you guys are screwed. We have the national – we have the specialist of the year. We have the midfielder of the year. We have the attackman of the year. And we have the defenseman of the year. Good luck. And they beat us. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. But uh, yeah. so it, without so throughout all these championship games that you played in, like, do you have any like crazy like in championship games stories? Because like, uh, like so the year in 2017, I actually played in the RIT champ. Yeah. Like, we played we played right after you guys. Yeah. Um, and the way that game played out, like, it felt like it was part of a movie, man. Like, oh my like, god. W- like, it's crazy because so since everything was at Gillette Stadium. Yeah. Everything is on a schedule, you know, everything moves really fast, you know, or you're not used to that like mm-hmm. uh, force of pace. Um, so everything kind of flies by, you know, it's kind of written in stone as to what's going to happen almost. If that's, that's what it felt like for me, you know, like, it, so I bet you for you guys, like, I mean, since you guys won, I bet you, you could play it back just like a movie. Yeah. Like I was saying, like, do you have anything like that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I would say my freshman year was kind of like, you know, my freshman year, the national championship was at MNC Bank Stadium. And I think Duke, uh, for the Division One teams that were in the final four, I think it was like Duke, Denver, uh, Notre Dame, and Maryland. And we did our autograph. It was pretty cool the setup that it was um, for the weekend. We did our autograph sessions with like all the Division One teams. So like, you got to interact and talk to those guys. So it was cool. Um, uh, but, like, crazy moments, I wouldn't say, like, I mean, winning them is pretty crazy. But <laughs> I would say the craziest thing that happened would be my either my sophomore year or my senior year. And my sophomore year, we had this kid, or I would call him a man-child, Mike Messenger. He Wait, uh, that, that sounds really familiar. Yeah, he's a uh, big-time guy in NLL. Uh, BC guy, I think he was picked second or third overall in the NLL draft. Um, he, uh, so there was one face-off, and this is what started it. In the second half, we were, we were losing to Lemoyne. We were coming back, and I popped the ball forward. It was a little bit of a 50-50 tie-up, so I pop it forward. I get in my stick right away, and there's a guy, St- Lemoyne uh, wingman, I don't know if he was a pole or whatever, standing right in front of me. So, I, what I had was I had – we'd had two short sticks on the wings because we weren't – I was winning most of the face-offs. One of them came behind me, who was Reed Reinhold, plays for the Toronto Rock, another NLL guy, and then Mike Messenger, who was on my left wing, shooting upfield. So I get the ball on my stick, and I kind of backhanded it to Reader. Reader catches it. The minute he catches it, the best pass I've seen in person – today in a lacrosse game beams the ball on a rope about 40 yards right to mess's stick mess runs down right through the lemoyne defense scores mess ends up scoring the next three goals after that and we are now winning and we won the national championship that was one of the craziest things i've ever seen i like i literally saw mike messenger take over a game and just said i'm having i'm enough is enough i'm going to score he Shot one shot he had rang off the post and went out of the stadium. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> he, he, he's a man child. He's a freak of nature, but he was one of the best cross players I've ever played with. 
Um, Dude, and then, that, that, that gave me chills, honestly, because, like, how big the moment must have been and just, like – Oh, my God. It was, like – The dude just flipped the switch. <laughs> we were like, losing, oh like, 5-2, and then all of a sudden we're winning, like, 6-5. And it was, like, because this guy, you know, just testosterone just built up and just decided to just, you know, I'm just going to run the show. And then my – um, what was it? My, my senior year in the national championship playing Merrimack, and we scored three goals in 17 seconds, all yep. of them off of the face-off. Dude, 2017, you guys destroyed them, right? It was No, it was actually – the first half was close, but the second half was like they didn't, they didn't see the ball. I think I lost one face-off in the second half. They didn't see the ball, and our offense just worked them so hard. And our defense and our goalie played amazing. Um, but, like, we, like – if like, you look at the score, it doesn't look that bad. But, like, if you watched it, you're like, Limestone is just absolutely doing whatever they want. And, yeah, I think the three goals in 17 seconds was big. Mostly because it all came off the faceoff. And, again, yeah. the first goal, like, had nothing to do with me. It was, you know, I think it was like a 50-50 ground ball scrum. And Jordan Sturros, our LSM, picks the ball up, runs down dishes it to my roommate Charlie Sheehan. He scores next Wait, you face. Said Charlie off. Sheen? Sheehan. Sheehan. Oh, I was going to say. I wonder uh, – yeah. Sometimes when, I'm, sometimes when I'm talking, it comes out as Charlie Sheen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But – the next ID. Yeah, and then the next <laughs> Too old to be playing. I, the next face-off, I pop it forward. Or, excuse me, the first goal came from Colton Watkinson, a midi. He scored, then Jordan Sturrows picks up the ground ball off and face off. We go down and score, and then I pop the next one forward, and I throw it to uh, my future roommate, Ryan Machevsky, uh, Penyan guy, and he scores. So we just scored three goals in 17 seconds. We were losing. Now we're winning. And it was just like total game shift. Uh, game shift. Yeah. The game just shifted. The stadium was going nuts. It was filled with mostly Merrimack fans because Merrimack's right outside of Boston. So, I would say the my sophomore year, that was more of a wow because you yep. watch one guy take over a whole game right in front of you. But my senior year was just, you know, because it's my senior year. And I think course, that scoring three goals in 17 seconds sure. is quick. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. I mean, what an awesome career at Limestone, man. That's That's – I mean, you'll probably remember all that forever, you know. Yeah. So, like, let's fast forward now. So – you get drafted by Ohio, right? Ohio yeah. Machine. This is this is now we're now in the MLL because this is so the MLL is the first kind of professional lacrosse league that um, has been around since the early two thousands. And uh, Kevin got drafted by Ohio, the Ohio Machine, they're called. Um, so, what was your first year as a pro like? Because I mean, there for me, like it's I learned that it's just completely different. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they're trying to bring people in that are not only good at lacrosse, but they have that also are marketable names. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So sometimes marketability sometimes like affects it. Yeah. It affects, yeah. It affects who's on a team, who's, and, who's got what role on the team. So like it was, that was kind of a, um, I don't know, just a wake up call immediately when I got in there. Yeah. I think like, like it's, it's the social media thing, right? I, I hate that it's, it's become a thing in our sport at the pro level. I hate that people are on rosters because they have a big social media presence. And there's no dissing to them, right? I'm not saying they're bad people, but it's right. their social media presence that allows them to be there. And good, you figured it out. You figured a way out to stay playing a professional sport. Good for you. 
but mm-hmm. I personally don't like it. But um, to, to touch on your question about like how my first year went as a pro, uh, it, you know, getting drafted at Ohio, right? First of all, I'm in the locker room. Te- uh, Greg Aranley has texted me right minutes before I go out for the national championship. And I'm just like, he's asking me, like, you want to come to New York, like, after I retire? Because he was telling me he's retiring that year. And I'm like, I just want to be like, dude, like, I don't want to talk right now. Like, I'm about to play yeah, the national right. championship. Whatever. Yeah, sure, fine. Um, so I find out after the game that I get drafted. And, um, you know, it was like kind of like I just won the national championship. Now I just got like – I won the national championship, and the same day I got drafted. And I got drafted that's to insane. Ohio. That's a big day. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a huge day. And I got drafted to Ohio. And I think I was the second faceoff guy picked in the draft. And um, I get picked up by Ohio. And at the time, Ohio was, like, the best team in the league. And I'm looking at the roster. It's Kyle Harrison, Mark Cockerton, Tommy Schreiber. And I'm looking – Marcus Holman. I'm looking at him like, I, gotta, I get to play with the best player in the world, Tom Schreiber. I was like, this is awesome. This is amazing. Uh, so I was so, I was so excited. I, they gave me, I, I, I even, they called me up and they were like, I mean, I'm talking to Bear Davis, the coach. I'm talking to the assistant coach. And I'm just like, I need like a week to just like enjoy this before I, you know, before I hop into a game, like just, I need like a week to just kind of like kick my feet up. Cause I just played a full college season and I just won the national championship. Like, give me like a week. So I get a week. Uh, they fly me out for my first game against Boston. And I thought this whole time that I'm going to play. Like, I, I just thought, like, I'm playing. Like, they didn't say anything to me. I just assumed that I'm playing. Uh, I knew Greg Pascoljian uh, was a starting faceoff guy for Ohio. I knew that. So, like, mindset I had going into it was, you know, Greggy's going to take – he'll probably start. He'll take some draws, and I'll, you know, fill in here and there. That was my mindset. You know, I, we go to practice. I have a great practice that night. Um, it's funny, Mark Cockerton's my locker mate in the locker room, so I'm sitting next yep. to him. Uh, we're just shooting this shit. Uh, he ends up knowing a lot of guys that I know from Limestone because playing box with each other and stuff. So, you know, it was good to, like, you know, have, like, a bonding moment with Mark, especially, like, we're teammates now yep. again. And uh, and then the rest of that locker room in Ohio was great. Again, like, those guys I mentioned, Tom Schreiber, like, come on. Uh, Peter Baum at the time was awesome. Like Kyle Harrison, like it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I had that whole mindset that oh, uh, you know, I was going to play. Me and Greg were both going to play. Uh, I didn't know there was a roster limit. So oh damn, okay, so you got smoked by the amount of people on the dressing. So like, I don't know. I end up playing, but like the okay. story. Like what I'm saying is like the morning we go to shoot around. Right after that, after shooting around, we're having lunch in the locker room. Barry Davis comes up and he's like, can I talk to you real quick outside? And I was like, yeah. So I go outside and he's like, he's like all right, we're going to address you today. And I was like, oh. I was like, I thought I was playing already. Like, what do you mean? Like, yeah. And he goes, no, no, that's not how it works. And I'm like, oh, okay. So he like kind of explains it all to me real quick of how it works with the roster and all that. I'm like, all right, whatever. So I still have that mindset of, you know, Greg's still going to play. Right? So we got down the bus and I look at – Greg and I see how he's kind of pissed off a little bit and I'm like what's this guy's deal like he was we were just buddy buddy what's going on here and we get into the locker room I see all the uniforms put up and Greg's locker was close to mine I see he doesn't have a jersey and I'm like oh shit oh he got okay I see so that was honestly that was my taste of reality in the MLL was like you don't know when you're not gonna play and like 
I've, I've, that's happened to me numerous of times. It's happened to you, right? Yeah. Like you think you're playing and then literally minutes, like before the game, it's like, you're not playing. You're like, what the fuck? So that's like, it's honestly, it's a shitty thing about the league, but you know, the PL seems to be that way as well a little bit, but that was like kind of my taste of reality is, you know, as a pro lacrosse player, like every week it might change. Right. And that's what happened my rookie year. Right. I was very fortunate enough for that. We went and won the ML championship my rookie year. So like, it's funny. Like I won a national championship. championships. Yeah. The guy, yeah, that's the guy what I was doing. Like, on this podcast, face offs. Yeah. I was this like, is a, this is a safe house for face-off people. I was That's like, right. Kosh is the first one to say. I was gonna be. I was. I was really excited to you drop. That I should be a face-off off guy. This is an all-face-off guy. Nate, you're mm-hmm. gonna transition me into face-offs. I'm gonna get back in into men's league. You know, not not the big leagues, men's, men's league. league, man. That's where you Rec really gotta league. bring it. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be a star. <laughs> Nate's gonna get me there. If you're a face-off sure, guy, man. you got some thoughts in your head. You just come here. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Any face-off guys, man, just just. DM us or something. Yeah. DM Kevin. We'll get the squad together here. There's a little we'll get it going. We'll get like <laughs> we'll, we'll get like ten people on here and we'll just talk face off. We'll sure, talk man. about how people hate us because they ain't us. That's 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 you know what? That's, that's a face off slogan. Yeah, they <laughs> hate us because they ain't us. Yep. <laughs> so you won the championship in the MOL. So how did you how did you end up in Boston? This is the thing I didn't I don't know how like oh. there's not very much documentation with the MLL like yeah tracking so, what's go what happens. I think there's a there's no documentation of this happening because I did my second year in the MLL I played one game. Okay. And so what happened was I didn't dress so they fly me out to the playoff game my rookie year. They told me they were honestly like we're not gonna dress you but we want you to face off and get Greg ready to go for the playoff game. And I was like totally down for whatever like whatever you need like Team player, let's go. And then same thing kind of for the championship, but that's what they told me before I flew out there. When I flew out there, they tell me these are your refs for the game. And I'm like, you say that to me. Now I got the whole mindset I'm playing, so I'm getting ready to play. And then I told the morning of the game that I'm not playing. So that was I, I was heartbroken with that. But, again, you know, I, w- I want to be a good teammate. So, you know, I'm like – I put it behind me. I'm like, whatever – you know, we're hours from the cha- hours from the game being played. Like I'm gonna be, like I'll be the best teammate I could possibly be right now for Greg. We won the championship. I was static. It was fun. It was awesome. Uh, three weeks later, I get traded to Florida. Florida? I, oh damn! I didn't even know that. Yeah. So three weeks later, I get traded to Florida, and this is me like in re, re- uh, negotiation of a new contract in uh, in Ohio. So I'll. Then, but like before I get the call that I got traded, I get a phone call from Bear Davis, and it's um, he tells me that you know we're you know we're, we're limited roster spots, so this is the plan. Like we're gonna sign Greg again, we're gonna release you, um, but we're gonna pick you up early first round in the supplement uh, in the supplemental draft. I'm like okay, like kind of a little you know sounds a little sketchy. What's going on? And then. You know, then I get another phone call, and he FaceTimes me, and it's kind of like, yeah, I just want to let you know we traded you. And I'm like, after what you just told me, now you traded me? Like, what's going on here? And, like, I was, like, a little disrespected because you drafted me, and, like, you had, you know, high hopes for me. And I, I didn't really feel like that you let me shine because I was – they were, you know, I was playing every other game, right? Yeah. And when you play every other game, especially in this league, you know – it doesn't help. You got to play 
in games. And that's why, like, with you, when, like, when I came back from my injury, I told Quirk, I was like, dress neat. I was like, dress neat. I was like, one, it's helping me. Two, I'm like, what if I get hurt again and he needs to play? He, right. like, you can't just have someone sit and then dress them and expect them to do good. Like, and that was like, Coach Quirk understood that, right? You, you, you needed to dress. For me to be successful and for the team to be successful at that position, you needed to dress. It was crucial. Um, yeah. For sure, man. I appreciate that. You know, absolutely. Yeah. That was that was a that was a fun part of uh, last year's yeah uh, ball endeavor for sure. I would always. I think I pretty. I told you before. I was like, yo, like, thanks for like coming. Like, you helped me out so much. Um, but back to the MLL, like, so I go to Florida. I go to training camp. I get like the starting spot. I play my first game and I get smoked, smoked. Um, but I was like, I was like set up for, to me. I'm like looking at. It, I was like set up for failure, and. I was like, I was coaching at Cornell. We had a home game. And then me, because uh, Connor Busick was coaching at Cornell. We, he was on Florida as well. So we flew out that night. We didn't get into like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, whatever it was. And then we had to wake up the next morning and play in Atlanta. And, you know, I lost one face-off, I think, or two face-offs in the first half. And then I got absolutely smoked. And I won two face-offs in the second half. And it wasn't the best showing. I watched the film and I was like, I am awful. Like I said to myself, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, like I just, you know, I was so focused on coaching college across that it took away of me, my mental preparation and physical preparation of getting, you know, being in shape to be a professional lacrosse player. Um, but again, like, you know, even though I was saying those things to myself, I was like, I need another shot. I need another shot. I need another shot. So what happened was uh, they pick up Ben Williams and, and that was because, you know, the Ivy League tournament happened. I couldn't – I couldn't uh, – I wasn't going to make, uh, like, two or three games in a row. So, they picked up Ben Williams. And, granted, Benny did a great job for Florida. And, you know, it was kind of just like, you know, I didn't do good and he did great. Or I wouldn't say great, but he, he was doing a lot better than I was. So, I get it. It's part of the business, you know. And they released me. But, you know, I think – you know, what happened was not to, you know, the hell with it. I'll call him out on it. Coach Tom Mariano told me, you know, that I asked him for a trade. I knew Charlotte wanted to pick me up, and that's where I wanted to go. And um, he pretty much told me that no one knew who I was anymore. So that, like, that, really? dug, deep, that dug deep for me. You know what? Uh, I had a terrible attitude for, like, a month after that. I became a pile. I was drinking a lot. I was eating fast food. Um, I became a pile. And then, you know, Coach Quirk hits me up when I'm back at Cornell in the fall. And he's like, you want, you know, we're thinking of picking you up in the supplemental. And I'm like, Coach, be honest with you, like, I don't know if I want to play lacrosse anymore. Like, you know, and he's like, he goes, all right, how about this? Like, you sign a contract. We won't pick you up. We'll send you a contract. And you just let me know if you want to play. So a couple of weeks go by, I saw, you know, he sent me the contract. I'm looking at the contract at my desk every day when I go into the office. And then I'm just like, you know what? The hell with it. Fuck it. You know, I'm going to get in really, I'm going to get in the best shape of my life and I'm going to play for Boston this summer. So I signed, I sent it to him. And then uh, the supplemental draft happened the night before and I had no idea it happened. And then I, Boston puts a roster out the next day of all the guys that have signed and guys they picked up. And I see you and Ted Ottens on it. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait a like, second. 
Holy shit, yeah, I was drafted in that settlement. I, I completely forgot about that. I, dude, like you said, stuff that moves around so yeah. fast there. And I was just like, what the fuck? But like, yeah, again, Nate, you like, scumbag. Taking our boy Reason spot. <laughs> but like, Nate, you got traded to Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, so immediately. I didn't even get a chance to freaking do anything. But like, uh, I wasn't, you know, Ted Otten's great. He comes to practice. He helps out a lot. He, he does great for us in Boston. But no offense to him, I wasn't worried about it. I was more worried about you taking my job. Because yeah, I was I like, because I was like looking at it, I'm like, all right, I'm like, who the fuck is this Nate guy? Let me do some research. I look you up, I'm like, God damn it. I was like, he's good. <laughs> yeah, you had it, dude. Like, again, I, mean, like, I just I, did my Kevin Reisman research here. I don't know how much of that stuff's out there on me. Well, like, I, like, you know, I say that to myself, but like, I know, like, I'm saying, like, God damn it. But I know, like, I'm saying that, but I'm just like, I need that. I need someone to be like better than me. That's like for me to have my chip on my shoulder. Right. Like every, like I took reps, like I think an hour before we got on this podcast uh, with Greg Pascoolian. And, you know, I'm, Nate, I'm telling you right now, I'm taking reps. I'm getting ready to beat you. <laughs> yeah, dude, I got to get going, man. I got to get that's, going. Then. That's my mindset though. That's my mindset with this is like, I got to make sure I beat Nate in training camp. But like, I, you know, that's just the mindset of going into it, really. And it is what it is, man. It's that's that's the competitive <laughs> that's competitive that's the competitive edge of, of of who I am, you know. And if it wasn't for that mindset of for me having that mindset, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at. I wouldn't be a professional lacrosse player. I wouldn't be, you know, a college lacrosse coach. Dude, a hundred percent, man. I I completely agree with you. That's awesome. Um, so, so can I jump in here? Yeah, go so for it, if God. you, so if you or Nate were to go one v one right now, out of ten face, <laughs> dude, I was actually I had an idea. No, 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 Nate, kind of. this is my question. Okay, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm just busting your balls. Yeah, if you guys were to go one v one, I think the viewers would love to hear this. How many would you win, Kevin? Out of ten, because Nate was talking to me in the back room the other day, and he was saying he would win nine. Honestly, oh, yo, my God, Kosh. Yeah, I'll no, say, what the hell? What I is know. this back room you're even talking about? Kosh, you're talking, <laughs> Kosh, you're talking, Kosh, you're talking BS right now. But I'll tell you what. Uh, <laughs> he, Me and Nate in practice probably go 50-50 most of the time. It's 50-50. I don't know, man. I, 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 would, I would say it's I think 50. it leans definitely in your favor for sure. I, this was actually an idea of mine that I had, like, towards the end of this. I was going to be like, all right, dude, let's, let's, have a, let's have an out of 10 challenge or something like that loser um gives uh, gives like i don't know let's call it 50 bucks to like the charity because so what we've been doing we've been doing a lot of different like yeah. char- charity work kind of i mean i mean mm-hmm. one thing we've done one thing so far but i mean there's been multiple occasions where we've had ideas to do kind of charitable charitable work um so my idea with you was like let's do like a series of 10 loser donates 50 bucks to the other the other person's choice of charity yeah We'll film all of it. We'll make a big, yes. big. We want the content. That's what where, we want to see. You know, the, pe- no. the people coming for the face-off safe house. We yeah. want them to see that kind of stuff. You know, no, it would be perfect. Perfect time. Training camp. Training oh, 100%. camp. That'd you be know, so much fun. We'll get like the whole team around. We'll tell them, you know, this is the deal. This is what we're doing. We'll get the whole team around, and it'll just be awesome. And then, you know, like you said, winner, you know, tells the loser to donate to whatever charity it is, and you guys can post it on your your uh, Instagram account. That'd be great. That'd be great. Let's do it. 
It'll yeah, you'll, we'll, we'll see it. then, Cash. You'll, you'll see. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, don't like, worry, don't worry. There was no back room. Nate never said that. I was staring like, at Yeah, yeah. I think you and your back rooms, Cash. Get out. Hey, hey, That's why we, Cash needs to need. training camp. That's why. Yeah, I'll training camp. Surprise appearance from Cash. Yeah, he'll be on the sideline. He'll be doing interviews, and then oh, when perfect. it comes time, when it comes time for the, uh, you know, the challenge, the bet, you know, he'll video it, right? It'll be great, great content. Absolutely, That's amazing. That Lars, Lars Seibel Jedi, you got to get that interview, Kosh. We'll get you. Oh, there. We'll get you. There. We'll, we'll I don't even know who that is. Put me in contact with him. <laughs> I'm ready. We'll put you in contact with him, and then you'll, you're gonna talk to him. And be like. Wow, I don't know how this guy has talked three hours about just cross things. <laughs> I remember, oh man, I, I remember he strung me a stick, and I was just like, I'm so used to my own stringing. I was just like, I, you know, I, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if I can use this because I'm just so used to my own thing. Yeah, I remember, I remember your face. It was like, dude, no. <laughs> yeah, like, like I broke his heart. Like it was really bad. I, 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 I don't know. I, yes, I, we were in Boston. You came late to practice. I was still out with an injury, and you were, we were playing Atlanta the next day. And I remember you talk, talking about how you you just like don't want to change your sticks. And I'm just like, oh, here we go. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's about to open a whole new world for you. <laughs> for sure, dude. But yeah, absolutely. All right, so face-off safe zone. You know, we gotta we've already established that bubble around us here. All right, so let's change gears here and kind of talk about the controversy that's happening within the face-off position itself. Like, in the lacrosse community, there are, like, complaints that, like, the face-off slows down the game and that, like, one person can have too much, like, of an impact on the outcome of the game. So, like, what's resulted from the controversy in the NCAA was, like, it, like an installment of a rule change where face-off guys were banned from getting on a knee and using, like, a grip on the stick called the motorcycle grip. Um, mm. So, to kind of translate that, from face-off language to English, it is like it's like saying the NCAA is undoing like seventy percent of the different techniques and like nuances of the position that make it exciting and such an attractive position to learn. Mm. Um, what's your opinion, kind of, on first the complaints about the like kind of your, your stance on like the complaints about the face-off position, and then also just what do you think of that new rule that they just put in? Yeah. Well. My stance on the complaints, you know, complaints are coming from college coaches, right? And I, I gave – at the IMCLA Coaches Convention, I gave a presentation about just a little bit of techniques, a warm-up. And at the end of the presentation, I kind of – I, you know, hit the nail on the head with the college coaches and was like, you got to learn the position. You got to learn the position. You got to coach it, okay? Because – and you got to recruit it well. Because what's happening is a lot of these schools that don't have good face-off guys, those are the schools that are complaining. Those are the college coaches that are complaining. And I'm sorry to call you out on them like if a college coach listens to this, but just recruit the position, learn the position, and coach it, right? Instead of having, you know, sending your face-off guys to the corner of the field and telling them to face-off for two hours for practice isn't doing justice. Right? I, I tell coaches, I'm like, you know, face, have your face-off guys do about 30 minutes of face, 15 to 30 minutes of face-off work. And then make them lacrosse players throughout practice. You're going to see a lot of college coaches stop complaining. You're going to see them stop complaining because they're taking their face-off guy and making them and forcing them to play lacrosse rather than just throwing them in the corner, right? So I think college coaches, we need to do a better job of understanding the position, learning the position, and recruiting the position and coaching it. Because if we don't do that, well, then – we're just going to keep creating problems and making problems. I see a lot of coaches 
complaining about stuff and they don't even know what they're complaining about. Right. They say, you know, the guys are cheating. Uh, they're, you know, it's, it's an advantage for another team. Yeah, no shit. It's called sports. There's advantages, right? Conor McGregor has got one of the best left-hand punches, right? He, yeah. he fights Cowboy Cerrone. Like, there's an advantage for him. There's an advantage of every sport and every game, right? You, you, don't, you don't like because Yale keeps you – know, TD keeps winning all these face-offs. Good. Well, why don't you coach position and recruit the position, right? Why don't you coach and recruit? Because that, to me, like, it will solve a lot of problems. If coaches really understood the position, recruited it, learned it, and coached it, like a lot of problems would be solved because they stop complaining about stuff that they now understand. Because they don't understand it, they don't want to understand it. They just want to get rid of it. Um, so they need to do a better job of understanding the position. Yep. And how I feel about the new rules, I think what – one, why would you – I mean, I, from what I've heard, 35% of Division One coaches didn't know about it. I don't know how, how accurate that is. But, you know, for people to be saying, you know, Division One co- not all Division One coaches knew about it, that's an issue, right? Professional face-off guys in college, the top college guys, didn't know there was going to be a rule change, right? From what it sounds like, you know, a coach woke up in the morning and decided, hey, this would be a great idea uh, if we want to change face-offs because we've been talking about it so much. Proposed it, and some people got on board and then pushed it. Um, it, I don't think it's in stone yet. Uh, I think there's going to be some more discussion about it. But I think, you know, what was the goal? What are you trying to do? Because, yeah. you know, people complain about it takes too long to set up, uh, the tie-ups, and then the people, the actual athletes facing off. They're saying, like, you know, they can't do anything but clamp the ball. Um, so, like, there's some positives. There's some negatives to the rule change. Positives. Right, you're gonna get rid of those kids that you don't think are athletic. It's gonna make face-off guys have to be athletic and be able to play lacrosse. Okay. Downside to that is the most dominant face-off guy is going to be even better because he's yeah, the right. best athlete in Division One. TD Yearling is the best athlete in Division One. I don't care what anyone says or tries to argue. You're wrong. I'm right. Get used to it. Yeah, uh, right. That's just, you know, that's just how it is. Like, he's the best athlete, right? So you're going to want to make them be athletes? Okay, well, he's going to continue to win every single faceoff. It doesn't matter, right? Uh, I think, you know, from a stand-up perspective, there's more to do, which is great, right? There's more counters. Uh, faceoffs could be quicker, which is great. Uh, negatives. Um, the way college faceoffs are, how long they take to set up, they're in their stance for so long. You now have to train kids to be in their stance for 30 seconds to a minute. Squatting down for 30 seconds to a minute can get tiring when you do it 30 times a game, right, for a period of time. So that's a negative. Um, it's easier to get locked up and stay in lockups when you're neutral grip because yeah. it's tough to gain leverage. It's tough to really rotate hard and get over the ball when you're in neutral grip. So if you got two guys that want to clamp throughout a whole game, be prepared for a lot of tie-ups. So if you wanted to make face-offs quicker, well, it might not happen depending on who the face-off guys are. Uh, if you think that it's going to be able to be uh, quicker, the setup, you're wrong because the setup still, not has, still has not changed, right? And something that's really a big negative for me thinking about as a college coach is recruits. 
you're 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 recruiting a kid. You've been watching kids. You're recruiting kids that have been doing knee down stuff. Some of them do a little bit of stand up. Most of the kids, you know, everyone teaches the same stuff now, right? It's knee down, right? So you're recruiting kids that are good at that technique. Now that this rule change happens, as that kid that committed and signed your school, is he going to be able to stand up? Is he going to be able to do, be good at that? You know, that's a negative. That that to me, I look at that as a negative for some schools and for some of these recruits. I don't think you know if what they were trying to accomplish. I don't think they're going to accomplish it. I would have loved to have been able to have some insight on it. I would have loved for them to ask other professional guys for some insight as well as other college coaches and for uh, for some insight, excuse me, because I don't think there was any of that. I think these people, you know, these coaches who made the rule, some of them made, from what I've heard, one of them was a face-off guy in the 90s. This yeah, sport has evolved so much. This position has evolved so much. You are taking a whole technique out of the position that kids have trained hard for. Now, I don't want to just sit here and bitch about it because that, you know, I don't want to be that person. You know, I think I said, I sent out a tweet. I think Jerry Ragonese tweeted something, you know, stay calm. All will be fine. The face-off academy as a method or whatever it was. And I think, you know, I was like in 20 and in, uh, in 2015, they made a rule change. You couldn't carry the ball on the back of the stick anymore. And the ball was going to be placed down before the face-off. We adapted and overcame. It was fine. But this is a little bit more of a slap in the face because you were, because players are becoming too dominant at it, you are changing. It becomes, because it's giving teams more of an advantage than others, we got to cancel it. And to me, this is all, you know, again, it goes back to what are you teaching kids then? Are you teaching kids that once you become good at something, you have to stop doing it because you were too good at it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it also, then you can look at it from this side is, you know, you got, it's also, it is teaching the kids a lesson because, you know, not everything in life goes the way they want. So now they got to change and adapt, right? You got to adapt and overcome. And that's something that I said, you got to adapt and overcome, but this is a little bit more of a slap in the face from the way I took it. Um, but again, you know, I stand by it, adapt and overcome, deal with it, you know, go in players are going to have to adapt to it and overcome if this is the, the rule change. I think, you know, you'll see some some schools might get even worse because, again, they didn't do a good job of understanding and learning position and didn't do a good job at recruiting the right guy. So they recruited a guy who's maybe not be that athletic and he can't stand up for too long, so he just starts going early a lot more. Uh, so if you think as a college coach, right, we're not good at face-offs, this is an advantage for us, you're wrong because the schools that have a good face-off guy – or continue to have success, you will not because again you're not, you know you're not doing your research on the position. You're not trying to learn it. You're not trying to coach it. You're just going to start sending guys out there saying, "Hey, just try to rake it out." Well, there's a lot more that goes into the technique of a rake than you really think. Than rather just trying to just rake the ball out. Um, so again, did they fix a problem? I don't think so. I think they're going to get more problems from this. Yeah. How do you I feel? Agree. I like it. From my perspective, it's like, uh, I think the biggest part of that slap in the face that you were saying was like the, the work that is undone yeah. by everybody, by people teaching it, by people doing recruiting, like you said, by actually kids who want to go to college and have mm -hmm. devoted all this time to learning the, um, that style of face-offs. Um, that's, that's the biggest part of the slap in the yeah. face. And then, like you said, only to, ha only to probably see more problems in uh, longer tie-ups and 
like more dominance by these guys who are just more athletic. Yeah, I mean, TD Erland like posted something on his Instagram. I don't know if you follow him, but it was like him just pretty much saying like, I just would love an explanation of why you want to change the rule. You know, what what were you trying to accomplish? And at the end of it, it was like, if you think I'm not going to be dominant, like I'm going to be even more dominant. Because he knows he's the most – like we were talking about today. I was talking with him because he was doing, helping me with that little Zoom clinic for Faceoff Factory. And he knows he's going to be dom- even more dominant. It was, it was like – I was just like – like he knows he's the best athlete in the game. Like, it's not a cockiness thing. He just knows that. Everyone talks right. about how good he is. Well – you change the rule, he's probably not going to lose a face-off now. He already wins 80% of his face-offs. And I'll tell you what, he doesn't win the clamp as often as people think. Right. He part of that is the defense part that he, he yeah. dominated at. And I said that – I mentioned that to him today. I was like, what makes you so great and why you're the best at the position right now is because you win a lot more face-offs losing the clamp than people realize and he was like yeah he's like you know he's like and the only people that realize that as are face-off guys all these other coaches don't see that they see him just picking up the ground ball and think that he's just winning the clamp no he's literally just more athletic and he's a freak of nature and he's literally picking the ball out of air as other face-off guys pop it out sometimes um but like yeah the new rule i think Personally, I think if they're going to pass it, they're going to test it out in the fall, or that's what they're going to say. They're going to try to test it out in the fall, and they're going to stick with it. And I'll tell you right now, like, at Tampa, we had the player of the year, and he was a face-off guy. He faces off knee-down neutral grip. Yeah. He doesn't lose a clamp ever. Now he's going to be on his feet, and we were talking about it. He's like, I'm, gonna, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. And I've been telling people, I'm like, yeah, you thought you were screwed now against him? Now you're really fucking screwed because yeah. he ain't going to lose. 100%. Well, now, now you're in his realm. Yeah, that's what I was like thinking. Like, if only they get that Hunter Forbes, he did the same thing. Yep. Only imagine if he was still playing college, you know? Oh, he, he probably loves it. Alex Woodall said he loves it. I'm like, why are you liking this? Dude? Come on. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Really, do you really like it? <laughs> Come on. Me, me and you, you know what? No, no hate towards Alex. Love the guy. He's a great face-off guy, but – Yo, Alex, I'll call you out right now, man. Me and you stand up a whole game and we play each other in the MLL. I bet I have a higher percentage. Yeah. For me Dude, saying yeah, that now, I got to fucking bust my ass. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. What more, what more do we want to say here? Let's, uh, let's yeah, call like, our arch nemesis uh, Max Adler too, man. Like oh, that, guy, man. that guy, you know what? Come 2020 here, he can't hide behind his uh, bogus statistician in Denver. You know, he uh, can't hide behind that. I think you and I both win over 60 against him. Dude. That that was amazing. That second when we played in Denver, me when me and you both dressed against them, that was amazing. That was oh really, my! That was really cool. Um, I, we we but like first of all, we crushed it. Me and you, like I mean, as a team, we didn't do great, but like me and you was like face off. We crushed it that game. We were well over sixty percent, and it comes out that oh, I was fifty percent, and so was Max. I'm like, how the fuck does that match? I'm like, how? Right. Like, how is that possible? For sure. I was like, I was like, I, I was like, I was like, I was well over fifty percent, and I was like, I know how many do, how many did you take? Did you take like five in that game? I took eight. I went five for eight. You know, like I say, I say I went over sixty percent. You know, I mean five for eight is like, it's like no face offs. You know, that that's 
not that's as credible still, as like as what, that's what still you better did, than you know? him. So, that's still better than him. That's that's true. That is true. But you know what? I mean, dude, Max is he came he came back swinging that 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 next time we played him. Um, yeah. I mean, he's he's obviously legit, you know. But you know what? Yeah. You know, you know we'll be yeah. ready. <laughs> yeah, we're ready. But, like, like we talked about in the beginning of this, right, you got to respect your opponent. I respect the hell out of Max, right? I, you know, I can't – I don't know how he feels towards me. I, I'm sure he probably feels the same way as towards me mm-hmm. uh, or he respects me. But, you know, when it comes time to game time, I love playing Max Adler. <laughs> yeah, of course, man. <laughs> That's my favorite game. He's – you know what, leading up to the game, like you – know, he gets hyped up a lot, and, you know, for good reason as well. He, he is really good. But, you know, they hype him up, and I'm like, let's go. Let's go. Of course, let's, man. Of course. You know, it. I, love, I love being the underdog. I love being the underdog because when I wipe your – I when I whoop your ass, I'm going to love it. Even if they fix – or even if they pat your stats at the end of the game, everyone at the game, <laughs> everyone at the game knows what happened, and I whoop that ass. <laughs> For sure, man. I mean, that's – dude, he – the thing I appreciate about him most is, like, he created that hype for him himself. Like like I said, there's, like, a business end to this MLL thing. You know, he yeah. uh, he leveraged, a, like, his story to his advantage um, yeah. through social media. And some and now he is, the like, one of the faces of the league, you know? So, yeah. um, that's – I mean, he earns the respect he gets, like you said, you know, but – it only gives guys like us the reason to feel like we're the yeah. underdog and, and and try and beat him, you know? I, I, you know, again, like, kind of shitting on him, but, like, I heard his story, and I was like, yeah, same, dude. I went to a, I went to a Division two school, too, dude. I get it. No one knew who you are. No one knew who I was. Like, I get it. Like, that whole thing, they that, that video they made, and listen, I don't – you know, Max, if you listen to this, I don't care. Uh, it was bullshit. Because I don't – I don't <laughs> – Wait, wait which video is this? There's uh, the a MRL, ago, right? The MRL came out like a video and was like met the like, you know, the story of Max Adler. Like he went to Bentley, didn't really, you know, wasn't really good at lacrosse, became a face-off guy. And you know what? You know what, Max? I knew who you were. I knew, I knew you, you were behind me the whole time we were in college. You know what? He had something to prove uh, when he got to the MRL, and he did it. But you know, uh, hype is hype, and hype ain't the real thing. When the real thing happens, hype can't help you. For sure, man. Dude, I love it. I love it. Let's get this. Let's get this freaking real hype kind of. I don't know. I, I feel like in the UFC, you know, people shit talk and it gets like all big uh, and people yeah. watch it for that reason. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'll be. I'll, I'll be honest with you. That's how I treated it. Yeah. Me and Max, I treated it like a UFC match, and he may, you know, he works his ass off. I know he does. He's a tremendous competitor. Um. But I don't know how he – maybe he doesn't look at it that way. Maybe he looks at it as just a regular matchup. And I don't feel disrespected by that at all. That's that's how his mindset is. But for me, I'm like, this is the game I want. This is, you know, this is the matchup I want. And I train thinking it – thinking, you know, leading up to a game against him, I train like it's a UFC fight. Right? I, that's, not my, that's my mentality going into it. Um, and I think, like, the first time we played Denver – we were undefeated and they were undefeated. I don't, you weren't with us yet. And I got to give Max a nice little, nice little shot towards the sideline 
uh, his helmet came off and we got each other's faces. And I think I had a really good, uh, really good chirp at him. Uh, John Grant Jr. even told me after the game it was a pretty good chirp. I think Dude, I told that's him that's a high compliment when John Grant yeah. Jr. is like, "Yo, man, hey, good chirp." <laughs> I, I told him that I was, uh, I was gonna steal his Maverick contract. I was like, "Yeah, Maverick's gonna sign me after this game." Oh man. He, uh, oh, that man. that I think they had to get it to him. That had to get it to him. I honestly, I don't chirp any other faceoff guy besides Max. He makes it fun that way, you know? Like, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, he makes it so fun. I'll chirp anybody else on, like, on the field, but, like, Max, like, I don't know why. It's personal. <laughs> yeah, just for no reason. It's just, like. He's going to, he's going to, if he listens to this, he's going to probably call me and be like, what the hell, dude? I didn't know. <laughs> so I'm like, there is no hatred until I put the helmet on and we're on the field. Yeah, of you're course. You're a good dude. I respect you. But if you're standing on the other side of me, of that, on the other side of that line, the midfield line, I'm sorry for, you know, for four quarters, I hate you. <laughs> right, right. Of course, man. But look, Kevin, dude, I'm excited to go back to battle with you in Boston. Um, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, it was, it was cool hearing, like, all the stuff with Limestone. Because, I mean, I know – I mean, on Boston, like, everyone thinks that, like, how the hell is Kevin a three-time national champion? That's, like, that's absurd. Yeah, you know? I think what was funny when we were in training camp, I, uh, I won a face-off. So, like, the first weekend of training camp, I had, like, three goals, like, all, like off of face-offs. And, like, one face-off, I won it, and I'm running down the sideline, and I got Charlie Ford just whacking me with a long pole. My left arm is just hanging out. He's just teeing off my arm. And I got the stick in one hand on my right, and I roll, put the stick in my left hand. My left hand's all the way at the bottom. And I see, like, whoever the midi was on the other – I was at the bottom of the box, and I, like, underhand through with one hand directly to the a midi on the opposite side of the field right to a stick and I come running off the field and like coach Rubio I was like who the fuck are you yeah, <laughs> he's, he's like I just never and I was like he was where did you he legit goes where did you come from and I was like well I've been in the league for like two years but I barely played and that was that was kind of amusing to me and you know I it, it's very humbling when something like that happens to you where you know you do you like you worked hard right and someone notices it and it kind of just like where have you been and it's very humbling and but it's also uh another thing you know something that clicks in my head when something like that happens it's like continue because i like that feeling i like yeah. that feeling of people saying you know you know being honest with you and letting you know like you know when someone's honest with you and they tell you you're good at something you know it because you're not asking for it it just comes up and Hearing stuff like that when Coach Rubio said that, I was humbled by it, and it made me even work harder. Dude, that's awesome, man. And, yeah, it really is like, a, you know, like, what the hell? Like, like <laughs> that career is just absurd, you know? And it's, well, it's warranted because, like, mm -hmm. I mean, you're an incredible face-off guy. Like, I had, I had an awesome time learning from you and just kind of grinding and stuff like that. And hopefully, you know, we get to uh, do it again, you know, amongst this yeah. you know, coronavirus thing. You know, I, I, I mean, we're definitely going to see some action, you know, uh, that's my, yeah. that's my guess. But like, um, yeah, like I said, I mean, it's just, I'm excited to do it again. And thanks. Thanks so much for coming on. It was, it was, it was an awesome conversation. Dude. Thanks for having me. A lot of fun. This, this was, yeah, this was awesome. Like I said, you texted me about this and I was like, dude, I've been dying to get on any podcast. And I see all these podcasts happening, like these lacrosse podcasts. I'm just like, I kind of want to DM someone and be like, you want to put me on one day? And I'm pumped you asked me, dude. This was so fun.
100 percent face off friendly hopefully, podcast hopefully right here get some traction you know yeah like, dude i will i will put this you know once you guys post this you know i'll put it out there i'll i'll put like one of your instagram pictures up on my story to like let people know there's gonna be a podcast podcast coming out soon uh that I, that you know you guys invited me on i'll let them know and you know i'll tell everybody give you a follow i know all my boys back here i told i was talking to them the other night about it i was like yeah i'm gonna be on this podcast and Dude, that's awesome. I yeah. can tell how excited you were to yeah. kind of, you know, get <laughs> exactly. on and start doing your thing. And they were like, yeah, dude, like, fuck yeah. Like, we're, like, they're totally going to, like, once this comes out, I know they're going to listen to it. I know all those guys, all the kids I coach at Tampa are going to listen to this. And then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll give it to Chris Rucker. He'll give it to everyone in Boston, and they'll listen to it as well. So we'll get the word out about you guys. Hell yeah, man. Absolutely. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. Well, once right, again, man. thanks for coming on. Any last remarks? Any last remarks you want to just like? This is your time to shine. Yeah, you just blurt out or something. My time is shy. Let me think. Let me think. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, just hope everyone out there in the world, you know, just staying safe with the way things are right now, especially in the United States with how crazy the world is. You know, I think everyone in this world just needs to be open-minded from whatever side of the aisle they're sitting on right now. Uh, be open-minded and be kind to each other and show everyone with respect and stay safe. Dude. Absolutely. hundred percent. Well said, dude. Well said. Um, once again, Kevin, thanks for coming on. Uh, hope you have helped to have you on again. Um, once again, this is, this, this is a safe spot for face-off guys. So we'll have safe you on spot. again and maybe uh, kind of bring some other face-off guys into our bubble here. Absolutely. If you guys better have me on again, if, you, if I'm not on again, I will be insulted and I will, I will, put bad stuff on social media about oh, you dude, that's <laughs> the worst form of, you don't want to be like, on the max adler side of this you want to stay on this <laughs> side, the good side <laughs> you and max adler go join a podcast together and just talk shit about us oh god <laughs> i don't even think i'll do that <laughs> yeah anyways man it was it was All awesome right. man thanks thanks again yeah thanks yeah. man yeah peace later That was our interview with Kevin Reisman. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Hope you enjoy and tune in next week.